0: This week rocks, rocks, and as a result, we talked to that film's rocktastic director and star, Sarah Gavron and Bucky Bacray. And for those about the rocks, we salute you. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast still hasn't played the Evil Dead 2 board game it recently bought at great expense because it requires a minimum of three players and it doesn't have any friends. Not groovy. Not groovy at all. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, as usual, I am joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, as usual because they demand to be here. Two of them are Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you?
1: I am well. Don't really
0: care, it's fine. Okay, Um, (laughs) great. And Nerd Emperor James Dyer, how are you? Hello, Christopher. I am also. Don't care. Also, don't care. Uh, Because (laughs) this week, I am very excited to say that the Revolving Fourth Chair is occupied by someone brand new to the podcast. Uh, She is a TV presenter. She is a, I believe, they're called radio disc jockey. She is a writer. She is an all round ace person. But more than any of that, she is a podcaster and her ace, film music themed, theme themed pod, soundtracking is a must listen. After this, of course, listen to us first, <laughs> and then soundtracking. It is, of course, the wonderful Edith Bowman.
2: Woo! Hi, everybody.
0: How are you? I do care how you are, Edith. Unlike <laughs> these two, I do care how you are. How are you?
2: I'm all right, you know, just, you know, cracking on, doing what we've got to do. Just seeing five people a day and that's it, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who are your five people?
2: Uh, well my husband my two kids and then a random anybody who wants to hang out
0: <laughs> do you have like a sweepstake, like a, a ballot to people
2: got like a rotation of people that I kind of <laughs> yeah can I have you today um so yeah this I mean like today for example was was the 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 guy who served me coffee at the the little shop up the road Henry's. Right. so morning Henry
0: morning Henry uh well how's your lockdown been in general you've been you've been pretty damn busy I have to say.
2: It's been yeah, I've been slightly surprised. I, I went into an immediate panic when it started of going, what am I gonna do? Um and it was kind of quite clear early on that actually the podcast was going to be able to continue as you guys, you know, have have been able to do as well, because what I've found is that it's it's actually opened the doors wider in terms of the types of people that I've been able to access. So um I've been desperately trying to get like Ludwig Gorenson, for example, forever on the podcast. And then it's because we are doing it remotely because he Mm. wouldn't normally be part of the touring party promoting necessarily. Um, it's like, yeah, yeah, come in. Yeah, of course. Yeah. How long do you want Uh, What? Um, I, and, and then Terence Blanchard, you know, um, Spike Lee's, um, sort of go to composer as well. That's been for me, the lovely thing. And then yeah, all these kind of random remote Q and A's. The weirdest thing I think was maybe hosting the international press conference for Tenet with, uh, with Chris and Emma, Brana, Batman with COVID, I imagine, when we did it. So yeah. he must have actually been like COVID heavy at the time. <laughs> um, Ludwig and Elizabeth Becky, and it was kind of so odd. We were all just like doing this and wow. having chats via
0: cables. And and so how was that? You know, at, at, so at a press conference, was it very much like Brana would start speaking, and then someone else would start speaking? You go, oh no, sorry, no, no, you can no. No. Yes. No. Anyway, same, but was it like that? Or was there technology much, much better?
2: Well, it started off fine. And then when we started doing the inversion element of it, that was when it got way complicated for <laughs> yeah.
3: me. When the blue team kicked in. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: well, as soon as Aaron Taylor-Johnson rocked up, it was like, stop, everybody. <laughs>
3: yeah. A temporal pincer press conference. Here to
0: explain this press conference <laughs> is Aaron Taylor-Johnson, what is happening? <laughs> Bran is starting at the end of the press conference and working his way back and no one knows oh. what the hell is going on. But uh, I love Branagh.
2: I love He's Brana. so good, isn't he? He's oh, so good. he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah.
0: We forgot to mention on the show last week. I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure if this came up after we recorded the show, but uh, this is particularly pertinent to, to Helena and myself. That he's making a semi-autobiographical movie set in and shot in and called, in fact, Belfast, right. which mm. is tremendous.
2: I know someone who's in it and filming at the minute
0: really oh. that's exciting yes that's exciting i'm wondering if i can combine a set visit with a trip home to see my family but uh that'd be We're quite in, nice they're
2: actually filming in berkshire at the minute so there we go it might be a little that's bit close Not, that's not
0: Belfast. <laughs> oh.
2: outrageous
0: they've got that completely wrong <laughs> <What's going
2: laughs> probably shouldn't be telling you that but never mind <laughs>
0: Who's their locations manager? I demand to see them immediately. That person should be fired. But Edith, for people who may not have listened to soundtracking, and obviously yeah, we the besmirched them, the fools. Uh, what what is it? What can you can you set it up for for us?
2: Yeah, it, it's it's my weekly podcast where I speak to film creatives about their relationship with music. So even though it's called soundtracking, music's obviously a very big part of it, and the kind of. I guess the foundations of it, but it's about talking about people's relationship with music, both professionally and personally. So we've had, um, you know, directors, producers, composers, writers, actors on there. So um, we don't. We have really uh, music supervisors. We have really wide goalposts. But for me, it's just about having a conversation about the two things that I love, music and film. Mm. Um, And so it's, yeah, we're 210 episodes or something in. So I think since we launched it four years ago, we've missed two episodes, which... It's just me and my friend Ben that make it as well. So I kind of book all the guests and do all the interviews and record it and then send it to him. And he's like my kind of Obi-Wan of of sound (laughs) and does all his kind of wizardry and, and Jedi skills on it and makes it sound amazing. But I absolutely love it. It's a proper passion project. And yeah, and I get to speak to people like, you know, around joker we did todd phillips and aunt hilda Mm. good not here you talk about that Mm. kind of and it was lovely to kind of hear how influenced the production was and the performances were from her score as well so yeah i love it i love doing it i love making it
0: where did it start from for you
2: well it kind of started off as a radio show that i was doing and then the um the radio station didn't would couldn't give me like a weekly slot because it was a kind of rotating slot um, and so I was a bit like, do you know what, I, I reckon I can do this on my own. So it was, you know, when podcasts were not what they are now in terms of, their, there was loads around, but they weren't, it, it was still quite a new thing. And so we kind of worked with a couple of people to help us kind of launch it. And then it took us a couple of months. And the first person that we actually recorded was John Favreau. But then the first episode that we put out was Ben Wheatley uh and ben has been <laughs> and i love ben and i'm hoping we can we can get him um on for his new film as well but he's been yeah. on i think three times now um and we had a great episode actually where we did him and clint mansell together yes and those are nice moments as well and you know i see you quite a lot chris you know at the ju- when we used to do junkets you know <laughs> you in person and stuff
1: <laughs> in the real time.
2: people yeah, with the biscuits and the tea
4: and the
1: <sighs> snacks
2: um <laughs> not made by you or having it put in your dishwasher. <laughs> you know, I remember hearing you in particular with the Mission Impossible stuff. Yeah. Um with, with, with Mr. Macquarie and, and I, I got to do one with him and Lauren together as well for for Mission Impossible. And that was one of my favourites as well because it's almost like you know those toys you pull the back out of and they just they go oh, that's what it was like with the two of them it's like okay mm-hmm. talk about it. And it just went it was so fascinating so yeah that's kind of where it came from
0: you ask chris Macquarie how he is and four hours passes
2: <laughs> yeah do you know his wife's a bowman I did. Really? <laughs> I didn't
0: know that, actually. <laughs> Any relation? He,
2: uh, I don't, well, I, I, I would like to hope so, uh-huh. but he came up to me at the the Beatles documentary that Ron uh-huh. Howard directed, yeah. and he was there just as a guest, and I'd done some stuff with, I think I might have done the podcast episode a couple of weeks before, and he sort of waved from afar, and then he came up and brought his wife up and went, my wife's been desperate to meet you, she's a namesake, and she was like, Bowman, meet Bowman. And then I was like, oh my God, I love
0: I love this. <laughs> uh, Jason Isaac's brother-in-law is called Chris Hewitt. Wow. No. Mm. True, wow. true story fact fans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Julia Stiles' middle name is O'Hara. So
3: <laughs> No way. I mean,
1: it doesn't get much bigger than that. So.
3: And I have Danny Dyer.
0: Let's move on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, people love Danny Dyer, James. I
0: thought for a second, Jimbo, that you would absolutely have brought up the fact that there's a character in a Jack Reacher novel called James Dyer. <laughs>
3: That is true. General, first one-star general James Dyer. I like to think. I like to think it's based on my life.
2: I nearly passed out at the um, uh, Spider-Man film when uh, Tom Holland put the glasses on, and, and it was like Edith, and it's <laughs> yeah. like no
3: way, <laughs> even dead, I'm that the hero.
2: <laughs> blew my mind. Yeah, I was like, oh, like me. That's it.
0: Thank you. And wait, Hawkeye is a bowman, so. <gasps> It's, oh just, it's all there. It's <laughs> all connected. It's You're all, connected. all over the oh.
4: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing.
2: Hello? Yes, I'll be there immediately. Uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we're going to start this week's show with uh, the listener question, not the film fact section. Oh, we're going to see how we shame. go time-wise. I know, it's I know. It's almost like that's no longer a thing. It's going to be a thing. I promise you it's going to be a thing. Not least because a listener wrote in with a great name for it. You know the way we change the name every week? Someone wrote in at Musatov, wrote in with the perfect name, which is going to be the permanent name, the three fact structure. I mean, that's that's perfect, three right? Except there are structure. four
3: facts. So oh, I suppose you there are don't three, bring four, one three right? facts. Yeah, I don't true. get to do a fact. That's a good point. Uh-huh. It is three facts. So
0: we might do that one near the end if we have time, because we're a little bit pushed for time this week. So we're going to start with the listener question. I think this is one we've done before, but now we're in our eighth year. <laughs> We're going to recycle some stuff. And also, this is right up Edith Street as well. This comes from at Jordan underscore Milnes on Twitter. Slid into my DMs, naughty naughty. What is the best musician cameo in a movie? Now, I think the important word here is cameo. So I'm not necessarily going to discount starring roles if you bring exciting ones to me. But uh, I think it's going to be people who make guest appearances, maybe who even are uncredited. So where where do we begin? The
1: one that sprang to mind for me is one of my personal favorites, but it's not. I'm not sure if it's a cameo and it's certainly credited, and that's Tom Jones in Mars Attacks, which is just a great, great, great performance, and I love it. It's small, so it's not like a starring role, but I don't know yeah. if it's small enough to be a cameo. But I love it. I accept it. Yeah. Where do
2: you stand on Alanis Morissette in Dogma?
3: Oh love it As God <laughs> As God It's the cheeky little smile She does before she walks off That is the best part of that
2: <laughs> But is it a cameo though? That's
1: the thing
3: I think I'd cut ideas, isn't it Because she's only in it For that one scene But yes She is But credited, can God but ever, ever yeah. really
1: be a cameo Surely God is there Throughout So you're I saying think. Her presence is felt Throughout
5: the film Yes <laughs>
3: She binds the galaxy together. Mine, mine would actually have to be Anthony Kiedis in Point Break, where he oh, turns up yes. with War Child to yep. rough up Johnny Utah, and has that that, he just does that, a that, that a waste, waste of time. time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Back off, War Child. Seriously. Did you know his dad, and I don't think he had a great relationship with his dad, but his dad is a guy called Blackie Dammit, which is an amazing name, first of all. But he is an actor as well. He Appears in the beginning of Lethal Weapons. You know, when Mel Gibson goes to the Christmas tree lot at the beginning of Lethal Weapon, and mm-hmm. you know, there's the two guys, and he has a fight with the two guys. One of those guys is Blackie Dammit, who was also the mad serial killer in National Lampoon's class reunion. So, Whoa, Anthony wow. is his dad. There you there. go, you've
1: won I mean, the fact, fact section. No <laughs> need to do <laughs> it. Yeah, <straight>
0: <laughs> <end>. <laughs> See, not that i four not
2: I even realising.
0: <laughs> I know, I tend to do that. Um, Edith, wait, this is Fanara, FNR. Watch the Fanara account, everybody. Oh, uh, we have a respected broadcaster here. We can't get filthy. All it's right? fine, I don't mind.
2: Where?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Edith immediately looks behind her. So, uh, Edith, do you, do, you have any, do you have any more that you, yeah, you, you want to give us? Huey Lewis
2: in the News in Back to the Future.
0: Yes Not Mm. the
2: news, just Huey Lewis, sorry
0: (laughs) They're the judges,
3: aren't they? Yeah He's he's judging the the The, talent competition Yeah, talent competition
2: Um, I mean, Bowie and Zoolander as well Is obviously a a kind of Oh yeah A
3: great (laughs) one
0: (laughs) That Um, is a great one
2: Does Kid Cudi count in the new Bill and Ted as well?
0: I'd say that counts, yeah, Mm. absolutely And it's in the trailer, isn't it? So we can can talk about that We'll probably talk about it later on as well Yeah, and it's a good one
1: Mm, Really good, actually, yeah
0: Awkwardly I clearly have no idea who that is. <laughs> but you've seen no. the film, right? I've so seen the film. It's a guy called and I don't know no, this yeah. is a spoiler Jimbo, kid. <laughs> I got that.
3: I just didn't realize he was otherwise famous.
0: <laughs> I am down with the kids. I am finger on the pulse, that's me. Have you have you known any of the names we've said so far? Huey Lewis, Tom Jones, do, do any of those mean anything the to news? you? There's a
3: guy called Bruce, <laughs> <The> Bruce <laughs> something or other who turned up in high fidelity I didn't know who it was.
0: <laughs>
1: Good Lord. But
3: you know, you must
1: know Phil Collins in Hook, James. That must be oh your, my God. your... Have you seen uh... Hook?
3: I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's
1: a, he plays a, a policeman.
3: Really? At the beginning I saw when... Hook once when it first came out. I've oh. never visited it. <laughs> it's a Most
2: classic. people don't.
0: Most people
3: I
2: don't. I really want to watch Hook. I will
3: say, however, that Jarvis Cocker is uh, leader I've... of the band The Weird Sisters in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That's right,
0: so,
2: yeah. Mm. Yeah, Ian Brown was one as well, was he not? Yeah. Yeah,
0: Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Mm. Ian Brown? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, he's been interesting these oh recently, hasn't god, he? Oh my god!
2: Yeah, wear a mask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what would Harry Potter do, Ian Brown? He'd wear a mask. Unbelievable. Axio mask.
2: He'd have a spell to get rid of COVID. It'd be fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I can't get past the first suggestion, which was Tom Jones and Mars Attacks, not least because the film ends with him. About to perform. It's not unusual. It's one of my favorite endings to a movie. <laughs> yeah. And he has, doesn't he have, there, you know, there's like a deer and a dove and Annette Benning, and everyone's yeah. happy because the Mars have been dead and the music starts and he's about to bop and then the film ends. And it's just absolutely it's so glorious.
1: Good. I love that film.
0: And he's so terrible in it as well. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean that with the greatest of love and respect because he's Tom Mother evan Jones, but yeah.
2: Not as bad as Bob Dylan in that film with Rupert Everett. Which do you remember one's that? that film? Hearts of Fire. plays a character called Billy Parker.
4: Hearts um, of Fire?
2: It's so bad.
0: But I also like, uh, I do like the David Bowie one in Sue Lander. Oh, he does so an amazing cameo as well in Into extras? the Night. <laughs> extras. <laughs> extras also. But uh, John Landis's film, Into the Night, oh, yes. which is tremendous from about 1987. Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, wonderful LA crime odyssey movie, really, really bizarre. And he plays an English hitman called Colin. And he just shows up randomly out of nowhere throughout the film. They stud you know, Bowie's appearances throughout the movie.
2: Well, that's the thing. is like, can that be classed as a cameo, though, as a as a musician? Because he's also an actor. <laughs>
0: musician turned actor. actor but he's great in Soulander.
2: Oh he's, Perhaps he's so I good. I may
0: be of some assistance and then he judges Let's the walk dance. off. <laughs> <Let's dance>. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. He's I so good. I forgot that. Yeah. Um
1: how about basically everybody in the Blues Brothers um but particularly yeah. particularly Ray Charles and Aretha? Absolutely. Um, oh, amazing.
2: One of my favorite films of all time. It's so good yeah
1: um but I, I just love ray charles first of all you know as the as the sort of feisty show, store owner but yeah. also shooting a s sh- at a shoplifter um <laughs> is is one of the great moments in that film that
2: whole dance sequence in the in the music shop that
1: spills out oh. onto the
2: street is just like well and oh, oh it's so good shake a tail
1: feather yeah it's so great yeah, yeah. So good.
2: and then yeah and then um think in the diner as well yeah just the Blues Brothers, there you go, the Blues Brothers for the entire. Blues Brothers, yeah, Blues Brothers. as a There's collective your answer. of cameos by.
0: And we just, we don't mention the Blues Brothers 2000. Don't. No.
1: I mean, still good cameos. <laughs> the the other band is basically, uh, you know, an insane. The the other band at the Battle of the Bands, isn't that. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten everybody in it, but it's everybody in it. Can't
0: remember that film at all, but I just remember it being terrible.
1: There's a reason for that. Yeah. It's B.B. King leading the other band, basically, and with people of similar eminence behind him. Isn't Eric Clapton in that band and everything? Like, it's crazy. (laughs) So, spoiler, the Blues Brothers lose the Battle of the Bands.
0: Oh, no! i have forgotten that. i have forgotten that. Um, So, Drew Pearce, the uh, writer of Iron Man 3 and the director of Hotel Artemis. Uh, I think he's a friend of yours as well, Edith, isn't
2: he? He is, yeah. We were in a band together.
0: No yes. way!
2: Do you want me to show you a quick picture?
0: Yes, yes. Hold
2: on, on my wall outside my house.
0: <laughs> These are the unexpected nuggets that we get sometimes on the Empire Podcast. I did not know that.
2: There's Drew there.
0: Edith yep. has returned,
4: and that's Jed.
0: <laughs> oh my god! <gosh. laughs> that is amazing. We were. He's called Woodchuck. The band was called Woodchuck. Yeah. You got to tell us about this band.
2: Um, well, Drew was writing. He's always he's mad at music, and he's always writing. And we weirdly met in London when I came to London, but we had his his family who lived really close to my family up in Scotland, and we became really good friends. Him and, and his sister Jilly as well, and um, and then yeah, he just asked me if I'd be interested in coming and doing like backing vocals on his kind of little you know, side project of this kind of singer-songwriter thing. And yeah, it was great fun. We played at the Hope and Anchor up in Islington and (laughs) that's where that picture was taken. And then I got, I think I was off to do a travel show or something and I just felt really bad that I couldn't kind of commit to stuff or I felt Mm. like I was kind of letting him down. So I... So I said, look, I love doing this, but I think, you know, you're, it's so great what you're doing. You should probably get somebody else to do it. So I think, cause I've got to be, you know, I'm going to be away for the next six months. Mm. So then he got um, someone, uh, this girl called Amy, in to to take over and they are now very happily married with two children, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, But yeah, Drew's awesome. He's brilliant. And he did this um, thing where I think it was for the first Iron Man film, or actually it couldn't have been because I don't think he was in that world yet. It was whatever Mm. point he was in that world. And he was, you know, obviously working with Robert Downey Jr. and Feige and stuff by that point. And anyway, I was hosting the premiere, whatever film it was at that point. And uh, as I was kind of on the little stage at the red carpet, oh, do you remember premieres? Oh, man. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Downey jr comes up the stairs and he goes woodchuck and i was just like oh shit <laughs> <laughs>
4: drew's, told him,
1: drew's
2: told him about the band it was just yeah it was very funny but um...
1: <laughs> you should have replied going the futurist <laughs> after his album he did that time and that would have been good oh, oh my wow, god i've heard that oh yeah there's a joke about it in uh, captain America's civil war that's the only reason i know about it but you know
0: Oh, is that why they call him? Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, I got gotcha. go. All right, I gotcha.
2: There's your fact. That's a great one. Wow, these little thanks, sneaky thanks. facts that well. have been snuck in. That's the fact <laughs> section yeah. all done. I was going
0: to say, that's done with it. This we whole don't need podcast dirtball. is the three-fact structure. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Wow, yeah. I did not know you guys were in a band together. That's that's tremendous. But the reason I brought Drew up was that he uh, recently we had an issue of Empire in which we asked loads of filmmakers to uh, supply lists of some of their favorite films. And Drew, I asked Drew to do one, and he sent um, a list of musicians in movies. Some of his choices are 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 wild and off the wall. So, you know, you got the likes of Debbie Harry in Videodrome. and that's mm-hmm. a, that's a great one. Art Garfunkel and Carnal Knowledge, Tupac Shakur and Gridlocked. Mm-hmm. Um, then he goes, Jimbo, I don't remember this at all. Alex Van Halen in RoboCop. Do you know who Alex Van Halen is in RoboCop? It's not ringing a bell. No,
2: I mean it's about eighty years since I watched RoboCop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I never questioned him, I just kinda of went back, What a great list, Drew, and then I, I never actually went, Who is Alex Van Halen in Robocop? Because he forgot to actually mention who he plays. <laughs> he just kinda of said Alex oh, Van yeah, Halen in him. Of course you do.
2: You yeah. remember when he was in that film?
0: Obviously. So, if anyone here knows who the hell Alex Van Halen plays in Robocop, because I'm refusing to look it up.
3: Apparently, <laughs> according to Robocop trivia, and this is coming from the internet, I don't know, despite an uncanny resemblance, the actor who played Kiva Rosenberg is not Eddie no. Van Halen, nor is it Alex Van Halen. The actor's name is James something, rather. So, Drew got it completely uh, wrong? It's possible. <laughs> Are you going
2: to tell him, or shall
3: I? It's the hippie guy. You, remember the, you know the hippie guy in, uh, in, in Robocop? With the with the with the curly hair, the hippie guy with the curly hair. Yeah, the he's book. on the TV. He's like he's interviewed on the TV. I'm, I only very vaguely remember, but I think that's who it is. I don't remember okay. who this person is, oh, or rather, I, who it isn't. But yes,
0: uh, but to, to see Drew's full list to read Drill's full list are we putting it on the internet i'm not sure if we are but it's in the you most should. recent issue of empire which is now off sale so you're gonna to have to get a time turner or something like that ask ian brown he knows harry potter <laughs> so he can sort you out with that uh, but unless anyone's got any other ones they want to throw our way i do i do oh. i want to mention
3: because we mentioned Asni keelis i should also mention that both flea and yeah. amy mann are among the nihilists in the big lebowski <laughs> which is pretty good he's in
1: quite a lot of films
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. he pops up <laughs> yeah. here and
3: there.
1: He was—he had a big role in something. Uh, oh, uh, Queen and Slim. Yeah, yes. he's in Queen and Slim. He's Baby one of the drama. half of one of the couples. Yeah,
3: mm. I will say I was a big—I was a big grunge child in the nineties. So, Singles, mm. uh, Singles was a big, big one for me because Chris Cornell wanders up and laughs at a car alarm at one point, and various members of Pearl Jam turn Pearl up, Jam, yeah. and lots of other people from the Seattle scene. But the, Seattle scene. But the most random one I think of all is do you remember in American Pie during the infamous. Webcam sequence. Mm-hmm. Remember this? <laughs> One of the groups of people watching the live stream are, for some reason, Blink One Eight Two and their monkey. Not <laughs> a euphemism. Hundred percent true. Don't know why. Really? Wow.
0: Yes. Okay. Maybe they're
1: just really into internet video.
0: Perhaps. <laughs> and are they are they playing themselves or is it just?
3: I don't, 18 18 I don't know, what the person to. ever question. named or referred to. They're just sitting there and they're watching the live, you know,
0: porn stream. Well, with, okay. With a monkey. Every answer to the listener's question should finish off with Blink 182 in some way, I think. <laughs> and, the and a monkey. And a monkey. Ideally a monkey, if you I can. can. Uh, and on that note, that is it for the listener's question. If you want to get in touch with us on the podcast. There's only really one way to do it at the moment, and that's on Twitter. You can slide into my DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. I do leave my DMs open, which is perhaps ill-advised, but there you go. Um, You can also just respond to a panicked tweet of a Thursday. I tend to do that quite a bit when we don't have a question. (laughs) Or you can just respond to any tweet that I do, any of my hilarious and amusing and original tweets. You can just reply to it, usually with stop or why or Chris or no. But sometimes you can respond with a question for this, and I will take note of the best ones. And use them eventually. Hi everybody, it's Chris here just jumping in to bring you something that Helen and I recorded earlier in the week uh, because Dame Diana Rigg passed away last week at the age of 82 just as the podcast was finished and we were unable to jump back on on Friday to have a chat about the passing of the great Dame. But Helen and I did jump back on earlier in the week and had a bit of a natter about the great Dame Diana Rigg. Here it is. Very, very sad news then, obviously. Diana Rigg has passed on at the age of 82.
1: Yeah. um, She was one of these people you thought would just be here forever. Uh, and I think she was somebody who had, her career had kind of developed with her and, and grown with her in a weird way. That might be sound like a very obvious point to make, but you know, not every absolutely gorgeous starlet that she was in the 60s mm. goes on to have the career that she did ever since you know it's not it's no mean feat basically uh, to to achieve that and i think it was testament to the fact that as well as being one of the most astonishingly beautiful women to ever live she was also a genuine serious acting talent both on stage and on screen and and on small screen as well as big screen obviously her role in Game of Thrones uh, in the last few years was a continual delight. Every time she turned up, you knew you were in for a good time. You know, she was the sort of Maggie Smith's Dowager Countess okay. of that of that se- series, but a lot more murdery, <laughs> which is what I think we can all agree the Dowager Countess, you know, has been missing this whole time. But yeah, she she was just absolutely fantastic in this in in that show and and in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in. You know, she was. Um, she was just kind of dependable. Any time she turned up, you thought, "Oh, now we're in for a good time." Mm. Oh yeah, Diana Rake's here. It's all going to be good.
0: This may feel like a, a rather redundant question, but were you an Avengers fan? I know you're an <laughs> Avengers fan, but did you? Because I, I grew up watching the new Avengers, the ones with obviously Patrick McNee as mm. but uh, the ones with Joanna Lumley and the earlier Avengers, the ones in which she played Emma Peel. Uh, I only caught up with, with some of them later in life. What about yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I, I saw a few sort of repeated on probably BBC Two or something um, back in the day. I, I, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't into those shows the way that people who I think grew up with them were. I was reading actually this week in some of her obituaries about her um, fight for equal pay in that. So in her first yeah. series, she was only paid £150 a week. Uh, she fought to get up to £450 a week uh, for the second year. And apparently nobody supported her. Nobody, not other, not other women in the industry, not her co-star Patrick Mcnee, um, and the press were like, "Oh my God, she's so mercenary," um, you know,
0: <laughs> and quite rightly so, and as quite well, rightly right? so,
1: absolutely. She was a major part of that show's draw. The the, the 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 so the fact that so many people remember her from the Avengers, um, mm. even over Joanna Lumley, you know, that's <laughs> that's An real Honor testament, Blackman and people like I that know, as right? well. Yeah,
0: calling her Bond girl a Bond girl feels again really reductive mm. because. Tracy in On Her Majesty's Secret Service is not a Bond girl um, by any stretch of the imagination. She's uh, not even every bit Bond's equal. She's every bit Bond's superior mm-hmm. and manages to completely overwhelm him and uh, reduce him to his component parts in so many ways. <laughs> and he falls head and heels, uh, head over heels in love with her. And uh, this is a Lazenby Bond, of course. Mm-hmm. Lazenby's only Bond. And famously, that movie ends with her being killed by Blofeld. It's one of the
1: absolute bastard. Maybe
0: the best ending of a Bond film, you know, with him cradling her lifeless body and saying we have all the time in the world. And it's all very, very sad. But mm. her performance in that, in that film is truly incandescent.
1: Yeah, I think it was a sort of a, um, a prototype almost for all these, you know, strong women who kind of came later. And and I mean, I think in some ways, so, so was her whole career. I mean, you know, Emma Peel in the Avengers was very much one of the original models of of that of that character wasn't she so um so it does kind of make a certain amount of sense um but yeah you know not a bond girl but a bond wife
0: that sounds wrong as well doesn't it does it, sign,
1: it, does, it just doesn't sound right look she's cool i think that, you know that's is? the takeaway
0: mm-hmm. she's not the bond girl he's the tracy man <laughs> in that film
1: yes yes and
0: also, I read in the aftermath of her passing. I read that she obviously she she had. I never met her. I, I don't know. Did you ever have the, I the don't, pleasure? I
1: think I've been in the room. I think I've, you know a, a large, very crowded room. But I think that's right. it.
0: Okay, <laughs> so. Never met her. I never had the pleasure of her company, but I understand she had an incredibly waspish and devilish sense of humor. Uh, and she compiled I don't know whether this is still available, but I saw evidence of this on, on Twitter, so it must be true. Um, that she compiled a book of terrible theatrical reviews. Amazing. And she published this in the 90s, not of her work, but of just mm. generally really, really horrible, spiteful. <laughs> theatrical reviews by people in, you know, by snooty people, Amazing, um, which was really, really funny uh, as well. And, you know, everyone I know who worked with her was absolutely devastated by her passing. Obviously, her last movie is going to be Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, which would have been out by now had Mm. it not been for the dread COVID. Uh, We're going to get to see it hopefully in cinemas, I think, next April. And Edgar was obviously very, very Warm and heartfelt in his praise for her on on Twitter, and uh, I can't wait to see what she does in that movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, that's it. I mean, like I say, every time she turned up, you're like, "Brilliant!" Now it's on. Now it's happening. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Whatever, whatever's going to happen next is going to be good. So, um, so Indeed. yeah, she will be sadly missed.
0: Yeah, she was absolutely tremendous and a, a huge loss, Dame Diana Rigg, who passed away at the age of eighty two. Okay, so that was a bit that we recorded earlier on the week, and now I return you to our regularly scheduled podcast programming. Okay, so that was the listener question. Now it is time to delve into this week's movie news. And, you know, it feels like everything is music-related just because Edith's on the show, but I promise you it's not that. We have no power, for example, over the release date of Bill & Ted Face the Music. That was just, that's just random. That's just coincidence. But we should start off with the news that there's a Madonna biopic on the way. And not only is this a biopic of Madonna, but it will be directed by Madonna. Edith, what do you, where do you stand on this news?
2: I am very excited about a Madonna biopic. Um, I, being a big Madonna fan from a very young age, in fact, I remember one uh, Halloween dressing up as Madonna and going, as we call it in Scotland, guising, not trick-or-treating, <laughs> um, my friend Audrey went as the Into the groove Madonna I was like a virgin Madonna And we went round the paths of my hometown of Anstother, uh Guising, singing Madonna songs with a little tape recorder I made a fortune <laughs> So I'm a big Madonna fan uh, However It does trouble me that she's directing it I love that, um, <laughs> that Diablo Cody's Writing it with her, I think that's mm, Exciting, but I would much Prefer her to hand over the reins to someone else to kind of
1: make it. It's it's definitely, I think, a risk. Because and apart from anything else, it opens you up to the criticism that's often leveled, especially against female directors. According to Barbara Streisand in a thing that I read, she she says like if a man does multiple jobs in a movie, he's described as a multi-hyphenate. If a woman does multiple jobs, it's described as a vanity project. And that's mm. that's kind of been <laughs> the case. Like it's been leveled at Angelina Jolie, it's been leveled at um well Madonna herself in the past, it's been leveled yeah. at Barbara Streisand, obviously. And so there is a bit of a risk, I think, in that in this case that it will just be dismissed as that. I have to say though, it's not. It kind of fits with her personality. Like she's someone who has, from the control very beginning, freak? kind of taken control of her career, <laughs> and so maybe that's kind of this is the way it should be. Like it just sort of chimes with that. I mean, and you know, we have had people very, very heavily involved with their own biopics before. So, some, Horace Stern played himself. Audie Murphy played himself in his bio in, in their autobiography. Auto. Uh, Whatever's the things, Um, biopics. So biopics, yes. So uh, you know, it's it's weird to be also directing it, but I guess I mean get another woman to direct it though.
2: It's kind of you know, there's it's it's it's, get Olivia Wilde to direct it. You know, oh my god, can you Mm. imagine? But you know, in terms of like, I just like Booksmart. I loved that film. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was so vibrant and fresh and exciting, and the music, the way that she used music and that I thought was fantastic and she just wasn't scared to kind of do things and go places with that film mm. and I just think that she'd be a great kind of you know that that she's a strong woman so I think that yep. if if someone were to come in to direct this they've gotta they've gotta be able to hold their own and for me yep. she's someone that I very much think could and I think she could make a brilliant version of Madonna's life
0: but isn't there a sense that if you are directing a Madonna movie, and Madonna is co-writing it and producing it, that she's always going to be there, looking over your shoulder. And so, the the best way around that is to have her direct her own project. The one thing I will say is that I don't think anybody in twentieth and twenty first century popular culture has controlled her image with such
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliance yeah.
0: and such you know and such ferv as Madonna. So I think that she would do something un. Interesting and unexpected. With this, people, for example, accuse Bohemian Rhapsody of perhaps overlooking some of the more salacious parts of Freddie Mercury's life. And obviously, Brian May and Roger Taylor were very, very heavily involved in that. And you had a sense they were maybe sanitizing that uh, in a way. But Rocket Man, for example, had Elton John very much involved, and that didn't overlook mm-hmm. the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Madonna. Won't overlook that as well. In fact, you know the woman who, you know, is responsible for the sex book or for in bed with Madonna or Truth or Dare and all this stuff. I think she'll probably lean into that a little bit more. So it might be more exciting uh, and no holds barred and controversial than you might expect. Maybe.
1: Yeah, I hope. But for I that think too.
2: that it needs the fact that it's it's only going to have her voice. So mm-hmm. for me it needs to have a diff- it has it has to have a kind of uh, a counter voice in terms of yeah. questioning those choices because she obviously sees her life through her eyes and mm. so you need that outside influence to kind of to kind of go with it to kind of you know go there and push her almost in a way because of you know she's I, I I admire and I love that control that she's had throughout her life but i think it also got to a point where that sort of i don't know where it was kind of for me anyways a fun question in some of the choices that she was making with things and it's kind of yeah so yeah i i feel like i would love to see i I love that she's writing it that's absolutely right but then what i would love for her to do is to to trust in some brilliant female visionary to take that on and and have their interpretation of it
0: yeah that's fair
1: You've got to hope that Diablo Cody really brings something to the script, and hopefully brings some of that extra perspective, I guess, on her career.
2: I mean, I don't know um, if you follow it on on Instagram and stuff, but mm. from from watching those kind of little videos and stuff that she puts, I mean, Diablo doesn't get a word in bloody edgeways. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> kind of, it's like she's just basically she's like her secretary just kind of typing away there in the background, going what and <laughs>
0: what. I'm excited. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but yeah. I, th- I think yes, it, that's yeah. a really good point. Like in Olivia Wilde or Rachel Talalay or. Yes. Yeah, someone like that would um, be. Been...
2: Uh, Alma, ha- Alma Harrel would be brilliant.
1: Yeah, she'd be mm. really good. Um, and another person who loves music and knows what to do with it. Yeah. And um, speaking of Olivia Wilde, obviously she's working with a different pop star this week, isn't she? She's working with Harry Styles on her next oh, film. Yes.
0: <gasps> good segue, Helen. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, so for "Don't Worry, Darling," we still don't know anything about it except that it's uh, set in an isolated utopian community in the 1950s. Um, he's stepping in for yeah for uh, Shia LaBeouf and yes, Florence Pugh and uh, Chris Pine. so It's
2: an incredible cast though as well, like Dakota mm. Johnson, Chris Pine as well. Like you say there, it's like, wow, what is it going to be?
0: We're very excited about pretty much anything Olivia Wilde does. Uh, booksmart for life. Booksmart hashtag for book life. booksmart for life. Uh, very, very excited about that one as well. We'll see what happens with that in the future. And indeed the Madonna biopic. Jimbo, you excited? You big Madonna fan? I can see you rocking out to dear Jesse. <laughs> who rocks out the Dear Jesse <laughs> Nobody rocks them. Anyway, but anyway, I can see you loving that song. Yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Like I I'm months
3: I've never seen WE, so I to, to me she could be the next fucking Scorsese for all I know. I'm
0: I'm going with a completely open mind. <laughs> that's you know, good. waiting that's for the genius though. to wash over me. <laughs> what if it's just about one thing in particular? What if it focuses entirely on the making of swept Away That's fine. <laughs> the fact that's Get probably God a really she's good director. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now that would be a story, Mm, ex-husband directing wife's biopic.
0: Yeah. The big question thrown up by Madonna biopic is who can possibly play Madge? Who can do it?
1: Oh, there's people. I mean, I don't know their names right now, but there's definitely people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't know them. They they don't go to your school.
2: They don't go here, but they're great. (laughs) My brain's just gone in overdrive, like you know, like like <laughs> flicking through one of those rolodexes, just like that, going who could be,
1: could be, could be? Somebody like uh, what do you call her? Newton. Catherine Newton. Catherine Newton. Somebody like that.
0: Oh, Interesting. She's
1: got a bit of an edge.
0: Yeah, would you need someone who can play? Depends if you know, are like, we going from like seventeen up to thirty, or is it seventeen up to where we are now? She's well in her sixties now. So, are you going to have could Madonna? Oh Christ! Could Madonna play herself with mocap technology? <laughs>
2: What, you mean like in The Irishman? Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see, you know, in the, um, what was the, the the Dylan film with all the different actors? Um, I'm not actors. here. I'm
1: not there. I'm, yeah, I'm not there. Of,
2: of that idea of like lots of different people playing her at different stages and even like, you know, a couple of men playing her as well. I mm. love that kind of idea. That would be fantastic.
0: That'd be good. That would be uh, cool. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I think because Elizabeth Debicki is the person who's popped into my head. Although I know she's far too tall, um, <laughs> they'd have to get yeah, uh, they'd have to get her in a in a hole next to all her co stars, and they'd have to be on boxes. <laughs> and... shout though. <laughs> yeah, or you'd have to do some forced perspective thing, like put the hobbits in in <laughs> <Yeah>. fellowship.
3: You're lucky to be in Lord of the Rings. <laughs>
2: Maybe she'll get a pop star to do it. Do you know what I mean Maybe. like a kind of Gaga esque, where she'll kind of like picks out someone out to kind of who can do the performing that side of it. Mm-hmm. And they'll knock our socks off like Dua Lipa or something, do you know what I mean? Kind mm.
0: of- oh, that's a good shout. Yeah. Or and who's gonna play Warren Beatty? Who's gonna play Sean Penn? Who's gonna play
2: Who's gonna play Sean Penn?
0: Who who can possibly play <laughs> Sean Penn? That's going to be an interesting episode. I mean, oh there's, there's tons Antonio of stuff to talk Valdes. about. they've got
2: to do the Evita years. Oh my good <laughs> oh God. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then of course, was it, what, what was the, the film she did? Was it, was it In Bed With Madonna or was it Truth or Dare, the, the concert film? I think it was In Bed With Madonna, In Madonna. Madonna. Where famously Kevin Costner shows up for a cameo. And he goes. She goes. What did you think of the show? And he went. I really liked your show. I thought it was neat. And then she takes a piss out of him because he said neat. And I want Kevin Costner to play himself for that role. <laughs> so we are one. getting
1: into Irishman tech here. That's what you want, really. Yeah. All these people just, that just play scene. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely. I want Joe Pesci and Al Pacino wearing massive shoes. That's what, that's what I want to see. Um, but anyway, you mentioned Catherine Newton there, Helen, and in the interest of another incredible segue, oh my God. that leads me into talking about my favourite trailer of the year so far. And if the film that it trailers- It's not tune, Chris, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, if, the, if the film follows up on this promise, then- Freaky may have just gate-crashed my top 10 of the year, Mm. because this is the trailer for Freaky. It is the latest Blumhouse movie, and it is from Christopher Landon, who as well as being the son of Michael Landon, star of Little House in the Prairie, is also the director of Happy Death Day, Happy Death Day to You, both of which took the Groundhog Day concept and applied it to horror films. And he's kind of done the same thing here. This is a project, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, check it out, it's amazing. This is a project I'm pretty sure began life as someone spitballing Uh a freaky Friday the 13th. <laughs> Why don't we just do that? So a young girl swaps bodies with a serial killer, and that's the movie. And you're going, oh my God, that's amazing. And then the lawyers go... Fuck off. You can't you can't do that. Uh, we will sue you. So now they just called it freaky. But it's Catherine Newton is a, a young high schooler who is about to be killed by a mask wearing serial killer. Wear masks. Uh, played by Fince fawn. And then something happens. They swap bodies and hilarity and gore ensues. <laughs> I absolutely am there for this trailer. This trailer alone may be my favourite film of the year. What did you guys uh, think of this?
1: Yeah, it's that's an inspired, high concept idea. I'm so in for it, and I think she's really good. Mm. I mean, if you've seen uh, Blockers or Supernatural, she's I just knew really you were good. Say of that. course, I was going to say it. <laughs> it
3: ridiculous Detective Pikachu. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, she's also in The Society, I believe, as well.
2: I'm really excited because Alan Rock's also in it, and I'm obsessed oh. with with. I think he's brilliant in Successions. Connor. Mm. Yeah, she's got that proper kind of. You know, the sort of almost like the Mean Girls kind of vibe of of those sort of that sort of genre of films. It feels like she's kind of got this potential to be really commercial, but also just kind of really she can hold on to a sort of independent sort of side as well. But this mm. looks, this looks like a lot of fun.
3: Does mm. Mm, loads of fun. Some of the some of the the sequences and just that you see in the trailer when you when the body swapped two are kind of reunited. Just it looks. Genuinely very funny. And I don't say that lightly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because James doesn't find anything funny. As we'll get to when we get to reviews.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, indeed. (laughs) Yes, I didn't think the devil all the time was hilarious in (laughs) any way, shape, or form. Nowhere near as funny as advertised. (laughs) As for rocks, I only laughed maybe three (laughs) times at most. Um, Jimbo, but... Enough about Freaky, because I'll be banging on about this every single week I think until it comes out and is a desperate disappointment, and <laughs> then we pretend <coughs> that this didn't happen. It could be snakes in a plane all over again. But anyway, there is another trailer I think that was right up James's street this week, and it's a trailer for season two of the Mandalorian. Indeed, the Mandalorian, which of course I will be discussing on the Pilot TV podcast oh. on
3: Monday. <laughs> But, but, but. (laughs) But, no, this is pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, we don't see any of the new characters. That's not a huge shock. I mean, we're not going to see Boba Fett or any of the the new introducing characters. We do see Grief Karga in in his new outfit in there. Mm. Uh, Cara June is in here. We, of course, see loads and loads of Baby Yoda. Although, interestingly, we wrote this up on the website. We mentioned Baby Yoda. We got a lot of pushback on social media. I think you're fine. We have discovered it is not Baby Yoda. It's called The Child. No, no, and thrice no. It's fucking Baby Yoda. Just own it. (laughs) Mm. Chris is now wearing a Baby Yoda mask. Wow. I, I thought it was Orville. That's...
2: It looks a little bit like Orville. <laughs> <a little> bit <laughs> like
4: Orville.
3: I thought you were going to break into a chorus. of, I wish I could fly.
0: No, it's, it's uh, Baby Yoda. We're, uh, yeah. and it's uh, it's, it's a mask. It's an official Baby Yoda mask. But I, I agree, it's not the best illustration in the world. It's so you not, don't really know no. what it is. But it's him drinking the coffee, which
3: is a great scene. Hmm. I don't think it's coffee, Jimbo. Oh, but it's probably not. He's too young for coffee. Space coffee. It's like he's Juice not too young he's 50 years
0: old this is the other thing you're people see right. like, he probably <laughs> has a massive caffeine habit <laughs> he's old than <but> many um... <laughs> of us for god's sake um,
3: so yeah um, there's a very there's a nice humorous baby Yoda moment in this when he, uh, when he suits up in his little so cocktail away from the fire oh, which is yeah. fun so cute and there's a hooded Jedi figure <gasps> as well and mention of Jedi although frankly one thing I don't buy from this trailer is the thought that you know when he's talking about sorcerers magi- yeah. Like you would know what a Jedi is this is not this is not like a really fringe thing you would know what a Jedi is At this point in the timeline. would you? Absolutely would. He's been growing up on the
1: outer whatevers and hasn't been paying attention.
3: I didn't know who that bloke from Bill & Ted is, so maybe he's just a bit like me. He doesn't (laughs) really have his finger on the pulse. He's divorced from popular culture.
0: I think you mean Kid Jedi from Bill & Ted. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's That's the one. Kid Jedi, that's That's that's
2: amazing.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, Edith, this is is (laughs) going to be your your pal Ludwig. He's coming back with some more... (sighs) some more of those block rocking beats
2: i the anticipation for the mandalorian was was huge in in our house uh and it was our favorite thing by a mile that we have watched in lockdown including all the galleries uh films as well that came along with it. i don't know if <laughs> yeah. you binged on them they were extraordinary um mm. i think we've watched them more than we've watched the show as well because it's kind of it's just <laughs> such a brilliant thing to give up to give fans as well as those shows i love this show i love the kind of i love the heart that goes into it and the real kind of passion and it's being made by fans that's the Mm. thing you know when you hear them all speak in these gallery shows you kind of go particularly you know dave and john they are just massive geeks and they Mm. love that they've been allowed to make this show so for me knowing that that much heart has gone you know there's there's so much love behind the scenes for it they are not going to screw it up and i'm so excited about it and that score that ludwig did for the first season was just like on his big fancy recorder i said to him in the podcast episode (laughs) i was like because i when i was at school i learned to play the tenor recorder which is a slightly fatter recorder than those tiny little (laughs) ones you have to play at school And I was like, I had to play London's Burning. That was my first song that I had to play. I was like, (laughs) And then he's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if the Mandalorian theme tune was the first thing you have to learn on recorder when you start at school? And I'm like, yes!
3: Make that happen. Yeah, you've
2: made the recorder sexy. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Lucy. But yeah, it's so good. It's so perfect as well. It was really interesting hearing him talk about when he was working on it, that he went back to... Uh, listen to all john williams stuff pre-star wars so he mm. can try and get into his frame of mind of mm. like where he was leading up to you know the creation of those kind iconic suites for, for the star wars films so yeah i'm excited as you can really yeah. tell
4: <laughs>
2: but also doesn't it show you that you can have a character wearing a mask and hear what they're saying yeah yeah Chris Nolan.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing no shame no <laughs> names No I have
2: loved the conversations about this cuz I was speaking to someone about this yesterday and they were kind of going did you could you hear everything I went no but I didn't care <laughs> mm. because I was in I was in it I was in you know I was in this experience so it didn't you know I'll go back and see it a third and a fourth time sort of thing and I'm sure I'll pick up more as I go along but I didn't care
0: I've now seen 10 or 3 times. I still don't understand Have anything. you I'm
1: so jealous?
2: Yeah.
0: That's not a clue. Not a clue what's happening. But speaking of my segue, is on fire today. Speaking <laughs> of characters who are wearing masks and yet you can still understand everything they say, Ghostface is back. Good Lord. This is incredible segue. And this really is. This is world I mean, class. Surely
1: Ghostface it, doesn't really talk, though, when, it, when like the scary mask movies? is on. When the mask yeah. is on, though.
0: Well, the mask has got to be on. You know, well, what if someone comes around the corner and sees the person who is Ghostface on talking the into a phone wearing the Ghostface costume and it says, Oh, hey, hey, Brad. Oh, you're Ghostface. You know, you don't want to do that, do you? So, so he has, or she has to have the mask on all the time. Do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, and so Ghostface is coming back for Scream 5, which I have been ambivalent about because huh. I'm convinced they're going to kill. At least one of, if not two, if not maybe all three of the Holy Trinity of Sydney, Dewey and Gail Weathers who are going to come back, or Gail Riley, uh, I guess as she is nowadays. So Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox have been confirmed. Nev Campbell was confirmed last week, just after we put the podcast up, because of course she's going to be back for Scream 5. What do we make of this? Are we excited? By there is
3: no way, no way Dewey gets out of this alive. Just no way.
1: <laughs> I mean, but we've been saying that since basically Scream 2, haven't we? I mean,
3: That is true. That
0: is true. He's like a talisman. He's like a bad penny. He won't go. He was Swiss-cheesed in Scream 2 and then still managed to come back. So I mm. think he might be okay. But I've got a sneaking suspicion. One of the things I loved about Scream 4 was that the way that the, um, you know, don't fuck with the originals, that that motif that, that ran all the way through it. And I hope that they don't subvert that. But it's the guys who did Ready or Not, which I also loved. So, mm. uh, Edith, you're a fan of Scream?
2: I liked the first film, and then I didn't really care.
0: <laughs> well, well, that seems well. Fair. Um, We've been getting on so well. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really
2: sorry. Um, I'd mu- oh, here's, here we go then. If you had an option, so you had one film that you could watch the last film you could watch freaky (laughs) or scream
1: (laughs) five
0: freaky or scream Mm five freaky freaky oh god yes freaky always
3: always
1: the new over the you know yeah but that's the the thing
2: is like what are they going to do that's different that they've not just rehashing or people are oh finally she dies kind of thing do you know what i mean it's like he got her yay oh (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like
0: <laughs> well, we're we rooting for the bad
3: guy now. But like, yes,
0: yes, he got her.
2: Maybe
3: the modern because, twist is it's yeah. from Ghostface's point of view. That's maybe the whole there's thing. like a it's mini like a-
2: Ghostface. Do you know what I mean? Like he's had kids <laughs> and he's got like a little trip of, of Ghostface. It's like you know, it's Halloween. Oh, look, everybody's dressed up as Ghostface. No, it's actually the Ghostface family. You
0: oh, know. Okay, yeah, it's got to be some sort of mask wearing thing.
2: Yeah. Helen
3: will discover that Ghostface is actually only murdering people to save the environment oh, and then Lord. she'll be thrilled
1: It's <laughs> my least favourite
2: villain
0: motivation <laughs> Do you ever. like climate change? What's your favourite climate change?
1: <laughs> or
2: she's actually married to Ghostface, that's what she discovers <gasps> <laughs> in screen. Probably.
1: Yeah, probably
2: There we go uh, Long been unbeknownst to Harrison Nine years since the last one or however long She's got married She doesn't even know but the person she married is in fact by night
0: Ghostface. See, I would think the mask and the costume and the knife would be a giveaway. Like, you know, hey, honey, he how was your day?
1: It. He hides ah. it. come on, Chris, come on, come on, keep up. She dresses up
2: as him at Halloween.
0: Right. Okay. I like and it. And then
2: you don't know which one's which.
0: Oh my Whoa. god. <laughs> Bit of kinky role play going on here as well in the movie. I, I I like it. To to spice up their marriage, she dresses up as Ghostface, unbeknownst to her, he already is Ghostface. Is Ghostface. Oh my god. Scream 5 is like Mr. and Mrs. Smith of horror films. I am there for that. But there's one other thing I wanted to talk about. I don't know whether you guys If anything else that you wanted to talk about. But uh, it's been a while since we got properly geeky about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And frankly, Us? I'm having withdrawal symptoms. And it was talked this week of Black Widow going back again because no! most no! studios yeah. are blinking and are moving. Wonder things Woman's gone back. back
3: to Christmas Day. Candyman's yeah. gone to next year.
1: Wonder Woman is now a week away from Dune. Does that not seem unlikely?
0: Yeah. but So apparently Wonder Woman and Dune are out the same day in this country and given they're the same studio, something's going to have to move that there. That seems
1: unlikely. Yeah. Somebody's going to move mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But yeah, it, it sounds like uh, Black Widow might move to early next year and, Take the and eternal Marvel slot. Yeah, Marvel shifts another rung backwards on the ladder. But I need my fix, man. Have they
2: said like, why? Have they kind of said,
1: no. I imagine maybe Mulan did well on Disney Plus. I imagine maybe they're so they're waiting to kind of see what happens there. I think everybody's worried that the U.S. has never got the first wave under control, and yeah. that the U.K. seems to be headed for a second wave. I guess oh, they're so. Just Tenet's worried.
3: domestic box office seems to have turned a few heads as well. Yeah, it? it
1: has been soft. I think probably is fair to say. Have mm. they
2: said when Tenet's going to get a? you know a whole men's release in terms of has that been announced yet in terms of because it'd no. be interesting to see what the if they're if the time frames come and be, yeah mm.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they will. I think they. They have said that this is a, a marathon, not a sprint, which is usually mm-hmm. not the case in box office terms, obviously. Uh, but it has made just under three hundred million dollars worldwide. Tenant, uh, and you might think ordinarily that would be terrible. Ordinarily, people would be writing mm-hmm. this obituary. But mm-hmm. we're in such uncertain times, and everything mm-hmm. is so weird that I think that they're just going to try and keep it going in cinemas. But clearly, we said last week. <laughs> this is how quickly things change. We said last week the studio seem to be buoyed by that and so that's why Universal immediately came out and went yes Bond is November 28th here's a new trailer here's the release date this is happening Bond but now things seem to be shifting and I'm worried someone tweeted me the other day and I don't remember the name so I'm so sorry but they said do you really expect for example can you imagine a Bond movie being released without the bells and whistles of a Bond movie, i.e., a big premiere at the Royal Albert Hall, you know, all these tie-ins, all these different things that require loads, and loads of people? Or, you know, is it going to be a case where it's just kind of released? Mm. And I don't know if I can imagine that actually. And I think they'll probably still want the pomp and the circumstance, and you know, the, and the whole thing. But do you not think
2: there's a way of there's a way of 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 adjusting to still provide that? Because you look at the kind of the. The big unveiling of the June trailer last week or whatever it was and that was brilliant you know and, and that was the i mean I, I couldn't see anything else on any social media apart from that for like two hours after it happened so yeah. in terms of a kind of you know a wave of promotion and publicity getting out there there are clever ways of doing it and surely they can't put do you think they won't release bond in november
0: i hope they do i really hope they do but i i can see the wind is shifting in a, in a direction where they're going to move it back. I think if if Black Widow moves, and Black Widow is currently scheduled for the end of October in this country, anyway, then I think I I would expect Bond to move. And I would I I, I still don't know whether I'd expect Wonder Woman to hit that date in December. I hope I hope so, because it's been we've almost been back to normal in terms of the cinema recently. And Bill and Ted, Face Music, and mm-hmm. Rocks are both opening in cinemas you know bill and ted opened yesterday as we're as we're recording this and it feels really good to be able to go on my phone over a weekend and flip open cinemap or or whatever app yeah. you use other apps are available and see what's on at my local picture house or other cinema chains are also available and you know and have <laughs> a and have a look and go to the cinema and it feels really yeah. really great to be back to normal but i i totally get it if the studios are going this just isn't working for us we're playing the long game but it's not working so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to move things back
2: yeah. But surely they have a commitment to helping the cinemas survive mm, as well, you know say, what I mean? Cuz it's existential like, for them. Yeah, it's like they're going to they're going to make money w- whatever, you know what I mean in terms of whatever they sell the rights to to whoever, you know, as the first the first dibs on on Wonder Woman, you know, be it on Sky or whatever for a, an exclusive period and stuff. That would be a massive deal. But it's mm. financially, but but surely there's a there's a commitment and there should be some kind of commitment from the studios to to the cinemas and to providing them with the titles that they know are going to encourage people to come in and get bums on seats so it keeps the cogs turning.
0: It's we'll wait until next year when there are no cinemas left. Yeah, precisely. Because I think if, you know, if, the big, if the bigger films don't start coming soon, in the wake of Tenet, I think we are going to see cinemas closing. We're going to see cinema chains being hit badly. We're going to see independence being hit. And, you know, especially in the States, my God, I mean, LA and New York still hasn't opened. It could be carnage, could be absolute carnage. And, uh, you know, ultimately this is why we do it. We, we do it to go see cinema. You know, it's, it's great seeing things on Netflix. and It's great seeing things, you're getting things in a link, but I had the option this week, for example, to see Bill and Ted either file link on my computer with my name popping up every five minutes, like, like <laughs> I'm the star of the film or going into central London and seeing it on a screen. With a bunch of humorless, jaded film journalists who hey, don't laugh at any jokes. Screening. You were laughing, Helen. I could hear you, like, wherever you Thank were, you. five rows across or whatever. <laughs> uh, but, and I chose the screening because mm. I wanted that experience again. And I still Absolutely. want that experience. And if mm. it goes, oh my God. Anyway, this wasn't what I, uh, this got really dark really quickly when I actually wanted to talk Sorry, about that's my fault. Um, It's entirely your fault, <laughs> Edith. And, um, <laughs> We'll have words at the end of the podcast, obviously. Uh, and But what I really wanted to talk about was Ant-Man 3. Hooray! Whoa! Which I'm sure we can all agree is Coming the thing that will save us cinemas. all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been made and they're releasing it next week uh, or they will if Kang the Conqueror has anything to do with it because yeah. Jonathan Majors, who is a star of Lovecraft Country, uh, is joining the cast of Peyton Reed's Ant-Man 3, The Return of Sonny Birch, my most anticipated Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And this is really interesting because the scuttlebutt, the word on the street, is that he will play a villain called Kang the Conqueror. And this could be a major game-changer. You know, we've been all wondering what's going to happen in Phase 4 onwards, post-Endgame, how people, how Marvel are going to ramp things up, and how they're going to have a bad guy who's worthy of following in Thanos' footsteps. Kang the Conqueror has a really stupid name, but <laughs> just may, just may be the next big bad for the hmm. MCU. He's no Thanos, is he?
1: I mean, look, who's the Thanos, James, honestly, apart from well, the apocalypse? Quite. but um,
0: Oh, you're a Thanos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no but he's uh, he's an interesting villain because he has done a heck of a lot of time traveling through co- comic book continuity which has also allowed multiple versions of him to exist so potentially if you thought Endgame was confusing in its treatment of time travel you could be in for a whole new treat <laughs> in the form of kang hurrah um but also it just gives them a lot of sort of material to play with uh, and a lot of kind of possibilities um He's been he's set himself up as an Egyptian pharaoh at one point in his history. I mean
3: Apocalypse did that first.
1: Well obviously James but you know The thing is,
3: just just, just to put Kang in a little bit perspective, just like Kang as a top tier supervillain, if you go to his Wikipedia page, the first paragraph simply says his main claim to fame is he appeared as IGN ranked him the 65th greatest comic book villain of all time, which is damning with faint praise, includes such abilities as expert historical scholar... And resistance to radiation. <laughs> his
1: abilities <Yes>. include
0: Excel. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Are you an you. expert historical scholar, James? No. I mean, so he's still no. one up on you. <laughs> you know. He's fine. What's a supervillain?
2: Because is he a supervillain? What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. So what's the super just means as it's goes- a supervillain? He has
1: superpowers
0: with his villainy, I guess.
2: And that he's going to potentially appear in future Marvel Universe films as well. Right?
1: Yeah
0: that's what i'm thinking
1: that's that's yeah that's the that's the speculation also he's his in some versions anyway he's connected to the fantastic 4 yes, he's he a many is. many many times great grand something of reed richards mm-hmm. so this may be a little bit of a hint as to uh you know Marvel's first family appearing at some point in the uh, films Maybe. I think
0: that's exactly what's going to happen I think the, mm. um, the I think they're setting him up as a big bad if not the big bad of the next phase because of his ability to travel through time and mess things up in the timeline and you know people may poo poo and dismiss the Ant-Man, <laughs> Ant-Man films I don't know poo-poo why I uh, why, love why would the Ant-Man films thank hey, you film, film
3: surely film yeah. please don't defend Ant-Man and the Wasp <laughs> yeah Ant-Man and the Wasp is a mess
2: it was still fun me I've watched oh, it fun, watched yeah. it like maybe three times actually during um, lockdown we also tried to rebuild the uh, the cardboard staircase slide um, with the amount of <laughs> Amazon delivery boxes we had that's during lockdown that's
4: impressive yeah
2: failed <laughs> but we tried um, that's fun they're fun, fun films film.
1: it's a lot of I'm not saying it's they're not fun they're fun films I- not saying it's not fun I'm just saying they're not you I know. could play
0: a 25 minute montage of you saying the Ant-Man especially Ant-Man and the Wasp is not fun
1: <laughs> I have not the- said it's not fun I've <laughs> never said it's not fun I've just said it's not it's great it's not
0: that good i can't yeah. say I could play a 25 minute montage you wouldn't sound like you because I'd be doing all the voices oh but okay
1: well if you want to play a, could, a montage that doesn't sound do that. like me that's fine yeah but, go uh, ahead
0: People can poo-poo and dismiss these movies as fluff and not really, you know, integral to the MCU going forward. How do you stop that? How do you prevent that? How do you make these movies integral going forward? You introduce a major new villain in this movie, so therefore it's not just a piece of throwaway fluff. And what do you also do in this movie, or perhaps in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? You use this movie or that movie to introduce the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. That's what you do.
1: You also kill someone off.
0: Yes, Sunny
1: Bird. He they so just got through killing somebody off last year. That time. A couple of
2: people.
0: <laughs> Do you remember that one time that guy died? <laughs> that, one that one time, time. that guy. <laughs> <the> time <laughs> it
2: happens, though. It's going to be. Come on, somebody else
1: has got to go. Just of old age,
0: <laughs> you know. But they'll just bring them back using the quantum realm in this one. There there'll go. be a younger version played by somebody new, Olivia Wilde in a mask. It's
1: going to be. Uh, I mean,
2: for anyone who maybe hasn't watched, you know, that film and that bit where mm. that guy dies or that Toby. girl dies Shh.
4: T- oh, sorry. Um,
2: but it's it, it's going to be weird watching a future one of those films like you know an ensemble marvel film mm. without mm. that guy Toby. oh my god chris. <laughs> <laughs> there might be the three people in the one world one person in this room is going to be a professional
1: chris come on yeah. seen it
4: <laughs> i
2: got in so much trouble years ago when i said about the dog dying in I Am Legend. I mean, the hate mail that I got. Oh, it's just a dog. Uh, it's, it's not the guy.
1: Just a dog. Yeah, we didn't talk about <laughs> dying, did we? It's fine.
3: <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> but then he doesn't die in the other cut, does he? There you go. Because you got the two alternate endings of I Am Legend, haven't you? Oh, I think you got only are two I was like, versions okay. of it. <laughs> <Would you laughs> <Yeah>. know, there's, <laughs> yes, yes, there's an alternate version of Endgame where <laughs> doesn't die.
0: It lacks, it lacks punch. So I just beep out every time we say? Name. So, in case people haven't haven't guessed it, but yeah, I'm excited. about this John the Majors is fantastic. Ant the first two Ant Man's and the Wasps are obviously <laughs> among the best. Fun? They're, fun. they're fun. They're fun. They're they're fun. They're, they're, fun. they're the in first the first one is great. They're in the top 23 MCU movies for me. <laughs> I'd have to say. Uh, so I'm uh, hugely excited about this. And Kang Kang was in Secret Wars. I used to have a Kang action figure when I grew up. So he did looks I. Really wow. funky. Mm. Yeah. And I've I'd probably be worth like at least twenty quid now, and I've lost a bloody thing. But yeah, I just, I just, I, I really,
3: really profoundly hope that they either do something very different with Kang, or he is not going to be a big part of this. Like, just kill him, oh kill him, and kill him in Ant Man three. Just get, be done with it.
1: Wow, brutal.
3: Kill Bring you in someone That's good. negative for you? No one can follow in Thanos' mighty footsteps. Is what I'm saying.
2: I spoke to um, Chloe Zhao this week. Speaking oh, amazing! Of, about. Um... Uh, Nomad Land, which is. Oh my god, it's amazing. Cannot wait. Yeah. And excited to see what she does with the Eternals as well. Yeah. Yeah. So many
4: things to look forward to.
0: So much, mm-hmm. so much. I think they should all release them on the same day. But ultimately. <laughs> just let the best movie rise to the top. Um, that's my advice. Make sure you finish Ant Man 3 first because that will be the best one. Why? Because it has. Sonny Birch.
1: Anyway, just, I mean, is there any confirmation of his casting? No. So, no. Just in your heart,
0: Chris. One does not simply cast Sonny Birch. One just starts making a movie and then he just rocks up. And speaking of rocks, are we hey, segueing in oh, the interview?
1: Oh my God. I think look we at that. are. So I think smooth. we
0: are. We're done. <laughs> I'll go back and redo all these links later on. Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed, it is time for this week's guests. And uh, Rocks is out this week. It is one of the best British films in years. It is absolutely fantastic. It follows a young girl called Rocks, played by a newcomer, Bucky Backray, who's forced to look after her younger brother when her mother abandons them both. And it's a story of her struggling with a system that just isn't... Uh, The best system, shall we say, for for young girls, especially young, promising black girls. But it is a wonderful film full of heart and humanity and hope. And it's not an an entirely bleak, bleak, joyless ride, uh, as I've made it sound. It is absolutely wonderful. And the film was directed and conceived by Sarah Gavron and her co-writers, Teresa Okoku and Claire Wilson. And... Pretty much all the cast of this movie are newcomers who had never acted before, uh, but I have a sneaking suspicion, particularly with Bucky Backray, that we're going to see a lot more of her over the next few years, because she's absolutely phenomenal in this. Uh, I spoke to them last week over the dread Zoom, so apologies for that. The sound does dip out every now and again, and they were an absolute blast. And Bucky, in fact, was doing this from her school. That's never happened before. That's <laughs> a first. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I, I suspect the next time she's on the Emperor podcast, was she doing it she in class on her phone, like she does She, was, a a bit, she was on her lunch break. <laughs> oh, okay. And none of her That's teachers. will you know, you'll hear you hear in the interview, but none of her teachers, none of her none of her uh, classmates knew she was talking to the Emperor <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, real breath of fresh air. This. Here we go. Sarah Gavron and Bucky Backray. Enjoy. Uh, delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast remotely, of course, because we're responsible that way by the director of Rocks, Sarah Gavron, and the film star, Bucky Bacray. How are you both?
5: We're good. <laughs> we're good, I'm good. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm,
0: doing, I'm doing all right, all things considered. Bucky, though, I have to, you know, the elephant in the room is you're at school. What's, <laughs> are yes. you doing this in your lunch break?
5: Yes, um, it's lunchtime right now. Um, yeah, everyone's eating their bagels and I'm here.
0: This is the coolest excuse not to have lunch that I've, I've ever seen. You know, know, obviously I went to school a long, long, long time ago, but, uh, you know, if I ever skipped lunch, it was just to bunk off with my friends or play football. It was never Mm -hmm. because I had to do an interview for a podcast because I was a star of an incredible film. So (laughs) how's that gone down with your mates?
5: Yeah, I actually haven't told them, you know, I've just said I've had a meeting. Because, um, (laughs) I don't know, yeah, I just told them I've had a meeting. Um, they will see it later and they'll be like, Oh, so this is why he wasn't at lunch booking. Because, like, like, this was the first day at school and we were all gonna get jerk chicken, but I'm happy to miss that for this, (gasps) which I'm happy
0: to miss. You've missed the jerk chicken, yes. This is not worth missing jerk chicken for. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Talking to me is not worth that at all. But uh, but thank you so much for for doing it. Uh, how's your first day back, Ben?
5: It's been yeah, it's been really good. It's been cool, um, nice to see like my friends again, and it's nice to get back on track with work and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, and, and for both of you, I mean, this this film should have been out months ago. Um, something happened. I'm not quite sure what. I haven't really been keeping up with the news, but something happened. Um, but now, finally, we are here, and people are going to find out just what an amazing film you've made. Uh, by the way, how does that feel? I mean, it must have been really frustrating to not have had rocks come out when it was meant to. But but now it's here. Do you feel relieved? What what's what's the feeling? Very
6: relieved and excited and nervous and all those emotions. Yeah, it's really strange because we were in exactly this position. Like, Four or five months ago, but we're back here. And in some ways, I'm hoping that after all the like difficulty and you know hard times everybody's been through, this feels like a bit of a balm. This film, you know, it's it's got a lot of joy in it Mm. and some humour, and it's about the joy of female friendship. So let's hope that people see it as a bit of light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Bucky, how do you feel about the whole thing now? Now it's finally out or about to come out.
5: I remember the time. Where like we were told it was gonna it wasn't gonna come out in April, and me and Kosa were furious. Like the vexation was mad. I just felt like, oh, why is the world doing this to us? But at the end of the day, and everyone's going through it. Everyone has had to post- postpone like so much. And as like just to reiterate what Sarah just said, hopefully this is the light at the end of the tunnel, and this is what brings happiness and peace and light to everyone in this like really dark time.
0: It's a film that that does have sadness i mean obviously mm-hmm. it, it's it's a it, it could be a from a different angle and in different hands this could be a really really bleak thoroughly miserable movie and it mm. isn't and a lot a large part of that is down to rocks is down to, to bucky's incredible performance and obviously a large part of that down, is down to you sarah can you talk about your approach to this movie and and you know, this is a movie that could so easily be about young girls being beaten down by the system and young, and young black girls being beaten down by the system. And there's hope here. There's optimism here.
6: Yeah. Well, really that's down to the team. And it was right from the outset, a true collaboration. I mean, we know all films are a collaborative um, endeavour, but this this particularly. So Teresa Okoko, who was the story creator and and, and co-wrote with Claire Wilson, she grew up, Um, in Hackney on a council estate and often talks about how much laughter there was in her childhood and how much joy in amongst difficult times. And and when we went into schools and when we met these young people, you know, they laugh a lot, they find things to celebrate um, and the friendships offer them so much kind of solidarity and good times. And we wanted to capture that 'Cause and, and, and particularly um Teresa was really, really pushing that in, in a very positive way throughout and it felt true to the world we were seeing and it felt true to these girls. I, what would you say, Bookie? It, is it true to your life, all that joy?
5: <laughs> yeah, most definitely most definitely, like, um yeah, most definitely, like the way women have, like young women in particular have been depicted on screen, like before and especially in a school setting, it hasn't been something that I could identify with. So um Not to sound like mad mad like egocentric, like when I see Rox and her friends like laughing and gisting amongst each other, like that was my secondary school experience or my high school experience. Yeah, that was that was that was how it was nonstop. Like every single day was just laughter, bantering, getting in trouble, but getting in trouble for silly reasons like excessive laughing. I remember getting sent into isolation for just laughing so hard. And the teacher that sent me to isolation was also laughing with us, but she sent us to isolation just so she could look like she was doing her job. That's, that was secondary school for us.
0: <laughs> uh, this reminds me um, of the most surreal detention I ever got uh, at school was I was in economics class and I stood up to put something in the bin. I went to go and put a piece of paper in the bin and I tripped over my chair and I fell backwards. <laughs> and I decided to I decided to style it out by doing a backwards roll. And so I did. A, I did a backwards roll, and then I got up and I bowed to everybody, and I went across and I put the uh, the piece of paper in the bin, and the teacher gave me a detention for Shopping. that. Like, what the hell? You should have had applause, random applause. Applause. I should have had. I've never done anything as, as as athletic before or since. Quite frankly, what the hell. <laughs> But anyway, that's just a little trip down memory lane triggered there by 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 Bucky. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, there's 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 a thread that runs through the film where y- you have. You know, the girls in the movie, they're, they're they're all incredibly gifted and they all have some kind of way of expressing themselves artistically. You know, Bucky is fantastic at makeup. There's a, another one, the, the kids, is a really good rapper. They're all good at art, just to some degree. And there's a little bit of a thread that runs through the movie about how that potential can so easily be squashed. And Sarah, was that... Important to you, at every turn they run up against authority. At every turn they run up against people saying you can't do that.
6: Well, the the film came out of a whole workshop process where we were meeting all these young people, and that that theme came up a lot you know what it's like I mean obviously teachers are full of I mean schools are full of some phenomenal teachers and we met quite a few of them but there is something about the system that doesn't always nurture people's potential and you particularly feel it with young black and brown girls and it's something Teresa Okoko has talked about a lot how you know this idea of a plan b being like posited to them and you know maybe not aiming as high as they could and and what was really striking to us as the creative team the adults we called us the kind of aunties, the older sisters to all these younger sisters was their potential. And they like every day amazed me with their intelligence and thoughtfulness and know how. And, you know, I learned more from them than they learned from me for this whole process. So I just hope that schools and institutions can get their head around young people and how much they've got to offer. And as long as there are the structures in place, you know, they're going to, they are, they've got so much to give us.
0: Absolutely, as evidenced, of course, by, by Bucky, who, if I'm right in thinking, you had never acted before at all. Is that no. right?
5: No, sir. No,
0: so where sir. the hell did this performance come from?
5: <laughs> um, I just want to say that um, I feel like when you're amongst such amazing performers, I feel like their energy reflects on me, like Cosa Ali, Afi, Karida, Anastasia. Ruby, like every single one of them, Shania, they're such amazing actresses. And because they were performing so well, I was able to perform so well. And I loved film before, I loved watching film, but I watched a lot of like old American and American sitcoms. Like that was my kind of thing. And um, I don't know, I like acting is really just real life in imaginary circumstances. And because I was able to identify with rock so much, I feel like that's what mm. made. Um, made things much more easier not to say it was easy because it was hard I really underestimated how difficult acting is and how difficult it would be
0: In what way? I mean there there, there are times I guess that, uh, not to give anything away, but there are times that rocks for example really really hurt and there are moments yeah. where I imagine this it's difficult for any actor to get to a place of of vulnerability, of, of tears um, mm. so how did you get there and Sarah can you talk about that process, how you work with you know, now you're all actors. I mean, that's that's the thing. But at the time, I guess this is your first time. You're all non actors. Um, you know, I'm working through that process of capturing absolute realism on film, but getting to that place where you can do that.
6: Well, there was this moment where, well, yeah, we won't give it away—a spoiler alert—but where um, <laughs> there was a really sort of traumatic moment for for Bookie's character, Rocks, and. Um, actually Teresa was on set that day the writers were on set there was an associate director anu henrique the producers were around and everybody was kind of thinking how do we how do we help her in this moment you know we had this sort of incredibly supportive female crew and and that were young mm. and from different backgrounds and everybody was always sort of trying to chip in with how do we how do we make this a really you know creative supportive environment and to, and i went to Teresa and said you know what do you think? And she went over and talked to Bookie. They like sat in a bedroom in, in the house and had a chat. And Bookie can tell you what she said. But after that, she gave this really emotional performance. So credits to the team there, but Bookie pulling it out of the bag. <laughs> Thank you,
5: Sarah. <sir. laughs> yeah, Teresa, I think before we started filming, Teresa told me that there's going to be a moment. We're going to have a Violet Davis moment. That There's, there's going to be like a climax in terms of like um, <laughs> Rox's emotional journey. And she said that Look, I'm yeah. gonna let you know when it's that moment. And the first thing she said to me when we was in the bedroom, she was like, "This is the moment." And I was like, and I knew I felt like the whole crew was getting pissed off at me. Not they actually weren't because it was such a lovely crew, as Sarah said. But I'm one. I'm a person that really wants to please people. So and I was I wasn't getting that scene mm. right. Sarah can tell you we've done several takes before, and I just wasn't getting it right. I think I was even doing dry tears, but um after Teresa spoke to me, she said, this is about this moment, this is Rox. Um, she was just telling me everything that Rox had been through and everything and how this is the scene that people are going to draw to. And after like a 10 minute conversation, I came out there and um, I listened to some music and I listened to some um, film score, and mm-hmm. I did the scene and Sarah kindly um, told all the crew to move away. I think that's what was meant getting me a bit scared was the fact that I had to cry in front of so many people. So um, we done like two more takes after that and I feel like those takes were really good takes. But um, before you mentioned like about the difficulty, I remember like one scene before and this, this scene didn't make it to the final cut, but Sarah wanted me to, um, she wanted me to like, she wanted some sort of like agitated like energy and I said to Sarah, at this point, we were all mm. too comfortable with each other. Because I said, to Sarah, not today. Like, how many actors can say that to a director on set? I was like, not today, Sarah. And since Sarah got, she got like feisty. She was like, Bookie, there's never not today. It's now. And I was like, wow, like, Gavin's never really spoken to me like that. I was like, let me just, let me, let me be serious now. I'm fucking forgetting that like, this was a job. Like, it really just felt like,
0: fun. I think Meryl Streep tried the same thing with Sarah on Surfer Chat, actually, so uh, it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> you have to get feisty. You have to go, <laughs> Streep, get on those marks,
6: say those lines. <laughs>
0: It's gonna be hell to pay. Is this true, Sarah? Did Bucky make a good fight? Well,
6: mostly she didn't, actually. Mostly she was like unbelievably <laughs> professional, I have to say, and on it. But here and there, you know, the poor woman, she was in every single scene, every single day, during her school holidays. I mean, it was really quite an ask. But she was she was incredible. I mean, they did they did um, I've said this before, but they did speak back to me in a kind of, you know, creatively energizing manner, I'd say. <laughs> so Kosar and Bucky were a real double act, and that you know, occasionally after a scene they have a little conversation and one day kosar came up to me and anu and, and the rest of us who were sitting behind the monitors Therese and claire and said you know this scene the way you, you've way you've staged it sarah it's, it's dead it's totally dead and so i was like oh, okay and so you know only five hours of filming but we went back and we reviewed it and we re, re-staged it and re-shot it so they were good they were good at feeding back
0: and uh, you know, naturally, I haven't uh, really delved into. I've, 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 I've gone full tenet and I've started at the end, and I'm going to work my way back to the beginning. And I haven't really talked about how this project came together with this movie. How did it come about? Because I'm really fascinated at the end of the, at the end of the movie. And not yeah, I'm not going to spoil the end, but the the credits are possibly the most democratic credits I've ever seen. And that you know, Sarah. Usually, it's directed by Sarah Gavron right at the end in huge font on the on the screen. But your director's credit is buried deep in the credits with loads of other people all at the same time, which is very much saying this is a group thing. So, is that how this was conceived? Is that how it this came how about? It was how it was
6: conceived, and it was how it was executed. And you know, it would be kind of disingenuous to do. En- to, to not credit it in that way because it really, really was this um, team endeavour and, and right from the outset, I mean, you know, we sort of did things in an upside down, in a tenant sort of manner because <laughs> we, we cast the crew, well, we got the, I'm sorry, we got the actors before we got the script. So that's not usual. Yeah. You know, You know, as we know, normally you write a script and you're looking for a certain kind of person of a certain kind of height and a certain kind of build and you go out and find them. Here, we didn't have a casting brief. So Lucy Pardee, who's the casting director with Jessica Straker, went into schools and youth clubs and found young women who wanted to be part of that journey. They all came into this workshop process. And so it was all right from the beginning, we were all there together and the writers were there and the producers were there and all sorts of people. So it felt like we had to acknowledge that, that process in the credits. We had to say, and, we, and, and in the promotion, we have to say, look, this was created by, you know, a hundred women. kind of thing. I mean, of course there was yeah. the boy, D'Angelo, yes. who was like stupendous and we loved him. And he was like, you know, he taught us a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> One man on set.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just box ticking isn't Sarah, really, it's disgraceful. Um, no, yeah, we have to get a man.
6: Just a little having to get a man.
0: So, I just want to take you back as well to that that moment. Uh you're in class and two strange women walk in and they stand at the back of the class and they're assessing the kids. Um at what point did you become aware that they were, you know, trying to recruit people for workshops for a, for a movie? And at what point did you, who had never considered acting before, think you know what? I'm going to give this a go. I,
5: like because Sarah, Gavin, and Lucy party were—they were just at our classes for about six months, more than six months. Sometimes I forgot they were there, and I would just start misbehaving. Then I'd be like, "Oh crap, these women are—they're here!" Like, and Lucy, Lucy's so sick out of her job, non-stop on notes. At one point, I thought they were just there, just for, just to sit down because Lucy was just on her phone non-stop, and she wasn't even looking at us. So I was thinking like what are she what are they what are they actually doing? But um I didn't actually know what rocks was gonna be until I would say halfway through the workshopping process. Like when we were invited to these workshops, um it was like me and my friends were like, Cool, let's just go. Like the word film didn't really float around until um Lucy said at the very at the end of the very first workshop, she said that you guys can actually audition for the film. But I can't even lie, I was I was more interested in the voucher that they gave us. They gave us like a £100, like, voucher. And the red film, it didn't really, like... I was excited as well, like... But I didn't think it would come to anything because stuff like that never comes to me. But I still went to the... to the second round of auditions slash workshops. And I, when I got to meet more and more young women and when the, the group started to decrease, that's when I was like, yeah, like, this is something that Not that I wanted, but I needed this opportunity. And I remember at one point, Lucy texted me and my mum, and she said that they didn't want you anymore. We don't. Obviously, she said it in a much nicer way, but I I think maybe they were going through a different, like a different direction in the film. I remember being so gutted, but I didn't. I I didn't let it get to me. But it would have gotten to me. But the next day, Lucy said, oh, we made a mistake, come back to these second round of auditions, and I was like, okay, like, this is the end game now, like, now it's time to, like, actually perform and just to do, the, just do everything correctly and just show these guys how much you want it, I guess, yeah.
0: And and Sarah, from your point of view, at what point? So, so the the way that this movie was was put together, as you said, was quite unconventional. So, did you always know you were looking for 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 Bucky? Was it always about rocks? Could it have been about another character, for example?
6: Yeah, it, it, well, right from the beginning, it could have been about any any girl. Um, At the center of Mm. it, and we wanted to do a film about friendship. And then we, but we thought, let's meet, let's meet these young people and see who, who is around and who sort of presents themselves and how we all interact. And it was in that process that Bookie emerged, but it was also what was going on simultaneously. You know, as with so many films, there's lots and lots of things that sort of come together and you just can't kind of put your finger on how or why. But Teresa Rococo had written this independent story, um, which was about sort of drawn from her own experience of growing up in Hackney as a British Nigerian girl. And there was Bookie in the workshops who was British Nigerian. And and Teresa suggested this narrative thread for us all to build the film around. And we all really responded. And so suddenly, you know, there was Bookie in these workshops, suddenly stepping up, giving these amazing performances. And we were like, Wow, she is the one. She's the one to put at the center of the film. And then there were these also these wonderful other girls around her, like Kosar, who plays Samea, her best friend, like Anastasia and Tawida and Afi, And they all and others and Ruby, they all formed this natural friendship group. Mm -hmm. So they sort of fell into our lap somehow. They kind of like we couldn't we couldn't have not put them on the screen. It was more how we felt about it. So Bucky,
0: and now in terms of Plans A, B, C, whatever <laughs> going forward, is is Plan A now acting? Most definitely. And what was Plan A beforehand?
5: Plan A beforehand was surviving. Like I remember my dream job being a nine to five because I thought that was good to me. That was good, like doing something that um, that mm. had a salary at the end of the day, and it was stability. It was it was freedom, but. Um, I want to ask, I have to, like, I, I think about it every single day. Um, it's been the joy of my life and um, my love for film has developed and yeah, I just really, I love it too much, like
0: too much, honestly. Amazing. And, uh, and Sarah, what's next for you?
6: Well, you know, I'm so like committed to this group and that I feel like I've got this new family now that I, I spend a lot of energy and time thinking about them and wanting to um, nurture them and work with them. And 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 also I'm getting so much from being part of this group of incredible women that are teaching me so much. So that's, that's where I'm at at the moment with getting this film out into the world and hoping that people see it and that, that young women see themselves on screen and feel affirmed and want to tell their own stories and that we breed a whole new generation of filmmakers. But apart from that, I don't know, I'll let you know when I know what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight. All right. Well, well, we'll, keep, we'll keep them peeled. We'll keep them peeled, absolutely. Um, guys, Sarah, Bucky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much
5: for having us.
0: Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Okay. So that was Sarah Gavron and bookie back And in fact, that start with rocks because for my money, this is one of the best films of the year. Maybe even the best film of the year, who knows? Mm -hmm. Uh, this is an absolute belter. Um, five stars thanks for that okay the next film is Hells <laughs> <laughs> Bells tell us about Rocks
1: you've you've talked about it a little bit already so I'm not, I don't want to spend sort of too much time on the on the plot because it's in a weird way not about the plot I mean it's obviously incredibly important that you know um, Rocks and her little brother Emmanuel are abandoned by their mother and that is a major part of the story but it's also just a story about I think being young and friendship and the importance of that and, and it and i feel like concentrating too much on the actual plot elements risks losing the fact that this is a profoundly hopeful optimistic uh film that that doesn't sort of it's not kind of misery porn it is not sort of harping on about you know oh young people nowadays or whatever else it, it really reminded <laughs> you of what it felt like to be a teenager and to have this endless possibilities in front of you, and also feel like the world is not supporting you in really anything you want to do. Um, some of the stuff that the teachers say to their students in this movie, like, is just achingly familiar. You know, they're trying to enforce yeah. uniform rules. They're trying to tell kids <laughs> that they don't have the grades they need to do whatever it is they want to do in life. And I think that's all well intentioned, but it comes across as incredibly squelching because you're already like from about minute two of this film, you're absolutely in it with these girls. You absolutely identify with them and you absolutely want nothing bad to ever happen to them. But I think what brings you through it is Bucky Backray, who I think is extraordinary. She's not my favourite Bucky. That's how good she is. Um, <laughs> and she uh, she just has this ability to to communicate so much without saying anything. Yeah. I mean, because there are times when she's kind of shut down, you know, she doesn't know how to deal with something, she's she's worried or whatever else. And she may, have, you can tell that she would appear sullen to the adults in her life and you can tell that she appears defiant or difficult or whatever it else, else it is that they assume she's being. But we also know where she's coming from and therefore you can see so many more layers behind that. Um, and it's just, it's just a wonderful reminder that, you know, I, I don't think teenagers get enough empathy and get enough sympathy in this world. Um, and and it's just a reminder that they need it a little bit more than they get it. And uh, mm. I loved it. And yeah, and, and all her friends as well. Ali in particular is Samaya, who's her she's kind of bestie um, mm. is is so good. She brings such a shot of energy every time she's on screen. And just finally Dangelo Osei Kisiedo, who's her her little brother, is the most adorable child. I mean he's he's so <laughs> wonderful.
3: I love that all the girls collaborated, all well, the kids generally collaborated mm-hmm. on the screenplay as well to sort of make it feel real, to make those bonds and those relationships believable, because this is an incredibly believable film, like it mm-hmm. feels like this is a real slice of life in that part of Hackney, and you you just, it breathes, it has a real internal life to it, and it doesn't play into that sort of demonization of the working class thing you do get a lot in these kind of films, where you're looking down and thinking, oh isn't that a shame, like you, you feel from, you believe these relationships, mm-hmm. you are there with her all the way through this, and she's so sympathetic, and as you say it's interesting seeing these situations where from an adult and from a teacher point of view looks one way but we're very much in her mindset seeing how it affects her and how she's trying to keep this sort of fragile house of cards that is her life together and and doesn't want to sort of you know drift into this into the system and be lost um it's an incredible incredible piece of filmmaking
2: Mm. i was absolutely blown away by it i thought there was just so much truth in it and you kind of you know it is it's it's given space as well that's what i really liked about it like it Mm. wasn't kind of uh the kind of narrative wasn't forced forward it just felt Mm. like the pace of it was was extraordinary and it it kind of allowed you to spend time with these characters and kind of get to know them and get to know their strengths and their weaknesses and i love the relationships the relationships between you know so many of the characters it, it just felt real um and i think that that yeah i mean the cast have done an amazing job i think Sarah Garvin as well has done a a, a wonderful job and almost just observing in a way. I think mm-hmm. that that's what it kind of almost like documentary sort of in a way because it did feel so real. Um, and I loved as well that they, just to kind of very briefly mention this score, which is is really delicately yeah. subtle by um, Emily Levenise, um, who's this beautiful, wonderful kind of new female composer as well. And I just think that she's she's dealt with the kind of nature of of the music connection with that side of things just so perfectly as well um i thought it was extraordinary and i hope people will go and see it and support it this Mm. is a great example of independent film that needs your support and needs you to go and see it and and kind of get bums and seats Mm. and you will be wholeheartedly rewarded
0: yeah great performances so much so from this cast of largely non-actors that it makes you wonder why we bother with actors <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why can't every film just have a cast of one-off non-actors who are so good and just inhabit their roles and then that's it one and done that's no more nothing for you be difficult for casting directors but <laughs>
2: i'm i'm so excited for for so many of them in terms of what opportunities it now you know, hopefully, we'll present to them because, yeah, what an incredibly exciting bunch of of young talent
0: really is. And I absolutely loved this. Um, so as I, think, I think you can tell we all did. Five <laughs> stars is no surprise. Five stars then for Rocks. It is absolutely film of the week, unless, of course, you're Jimbo, in which case your film of the week is Bill and Ted Face the Music, <laughs> is a <laughs> film that regular listeners to the podcast will know that James has been looking forward to for for many, many years. <sighs> Isn't this right, Jimbo? Oh,
2: listen to that sigh. That was just like, that was
3: so... <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I... Yes, I was very excited when we first saw the the trailer for this film, from which they had sucked all semblance of humour. But uh, the film is now with us, and 29 years after Bill and Ted's bogus journey, uh, life isn't going well for Bill and Ted. Uh, they still have not written the song that unites the world. They're about to lose their princess brides, as it were. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they have to do some more time to travel shenanigans to kind of save the world, save their careers, save their marriages and generally everything else. They introduce in this their children. There is sort of young Ted, played by Samara Weaving, as Thea, Bill's daughter, and uh, young Bill, Billy, played by Bridget Lundy-Payne. Uh, and they play a part in this as well. Now, you can look at this kind of one of two ways. This is either a greatest hits compilation or a really lazy rehash of jokes from two other films. So I no. guess it kind of depends on your point of view. But I should probably... This by saying, I don't like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. I never understood why people thought it was particularly good. However, why have I chosen I- you to lead this review? <laughs>
4: yeah, this was <is> a weird <laughs> well, choice, God. Chris.
3: However, however, I do have a soft spot for Bill and Ted's bogus journey, which I do think is a superior film. But this film, this third film, which reunites the the writers Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon with uh, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, has been bubbling away now for what feels like twenty years. And I think it pretty much has been, hasn't it? Um, I mean, they were they were mooting doing this in the early noughties, and it kind of finally is here. And the only thing I will say is, I did not hate this film. Uh, I wanted <laughs> to hate this film. I almost needed to hate this film. I couldn't. I wasn't happy really living in a reality where this film was good. And while I don't think it is a great film, it is not terrible it's quite charming and i think in a way that's the best part of it. it's managed to recapture what it is about these two kind of doofuses that is quite charming they're stupid but they're lovable and they do ridiculous things but it's quietly entertaining if not you know funny oh uh, and they do have william Sadler's death and i think you know for that alone it's it's maybe worth watching so uh, yeah this 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 is not a film that i hate so there you go. That is, that is my James Burney. Wow, Feel free to James. use that on the poster steady if you on. will. We
1: can't have anything that ravey in this podcast. We'll appear to have lost all objectivity. My God.
0: Can I check your bank account, Jimbo? Because I want to see <laughs>
4: yes.
0: a, a deposit from a Mr. W. Brothers. That's it. That's it. No, you know, I did not hate it. It's not good, but it's not terrible. James Dyer, Empire. Okay. Uh, Edith, what do you make of this one?
2: I had a lot of fun watching this. I, uh yeah, it was really nostalgic. It was just, um it's silly, you know. It's kind of, but I, I thought I, I really like. I kind of almost like fist pumped the air when when William Sadler came on screen, you know, and kind of <laughs> a, a slightly older looking death, if that's possible. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I really liked the Dennis character as well. The kind of the sort of yes. the robot dude, um, but I really liked. Um, Billy, the character Billy as well, I thought in particular not to have a favourite daughter. But um mm. but she i just sort of kind of, I thought she had real charisma on screen, so sort I of thing. I kinda yeah. really liked her sort of presence. So I'm kind of excited to see where she goes. But I just yeah, I I loved that kind of period of the film where they were they were kind of going back to lots of different times of uh to try and get the tune sort of thing. And so when they went to the prison and the kind of the the muscle Mary kind of um, Bill and Ted, which was just Really funny, it did make me laugh out loud a few times as well. Mm. It's you know, it's got its faults, the makeup's terrible in it. And on, I mean, <laughs> Keanu, Keanu Reeves does not need that much makeup, it's like just let him rock up without anything, you know. It's like he mm. it doesn't need it, it's kind of but yeah, it was fun, it was it was kind of like mm. relief to be honest. It was it was really, I think I, I was expecting it to be awful and it wasn't. And I'm really glad it wasn't because it was uh, yeah, it was fun, it was good fun to watch.
3: Are you an excellent adventure or a bogus journey person?
2: I'm a Bill and Ted.
3: Oh, okay. Band, You're a platform that agnostic.
2: <laughs> I, I think they're just like that kind of childlike sort of, you know, naivety. Sort of is it's sweet.
3: I see. I, I, I Bill and Ted, the original, like excellent adventure with the sort of humorous historical figures never really rang true for me. What I liked about Bogus Journey is it has (laughs) really bold. (laughs) No, yes. I didn't I didn't really feel the verisimilitude. Um (laughs) but like Bogus Journey has some great ideas. It's really audacious in some of the stuff that it does and bodacious in fact. But uh but it's you know and I think this doesn't have the invention that Bogus Journey had, which I think is a shame because I would like to have seen them do, you know, bold new things rather than kind of retreading old ground a little bit. Yeah I
1: think that that was the big thing for me because I did find it funny and I absolutely adore the characters, so I was here for any scene where it was just them doing stuff. I think the big mistake was making the stakes higher because it's not just world peace that now relies on Bill and Ted Mm -hmm. writing the perfect song. It is the nature of space and time and reality itself. (laughs) And that seems like a bit much to put on the shoulders of two complete doofuses. Um, And Whereas (laughs) world peace lying on the shoulders of doofuses is, you know, that's just tradition. Um, So yeah, so I just kind of wanted... The lower stakes, I didn't want that kind of sequel itis kind of amping up that they seem to have. And, and I think it would have been stronger if they hadn't just bothered with that at all and just focused on you still have to write the song or your wives are going to leave you and your daughters are going to be disappointed. like that would be more than enough to drive this mm. narrative uh, without any of the kind of bells and whistles around the the edges. But the doors, I agree, um, li- little Billy is just so good. She's just got all those Keanu mannerisms and the kind of body language, and it was magic, mm-hmm. absolute yeah. magic.
0: Yeah, I... I- Surprisingly, I had a, had a good time with this one. Uh, again, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I, for the longest time, have not been able to tell you who, could, who plays whom, uh, who was Bill and who was Ted. But I revisited both x Adventure and Bogus Journey uh, immediately before watching Face the Music, and I can now tell you unequivocally, without looking at my notes, that Keanu Reeves plays Bill or Ted, oh, and Jesus. Alex Winter plays the other one. But with that knowledge in mind, uh, No. Keanu was Ted and Alex is Bill. I know that now. It's all good. Um, but having revisited those first two movies, Excellent Adventure doesn't work for me as much as Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey may be the most audacious, weirdest comedy released by a major mainstream studio in the last 30 years or so. And I include everything Adam McKay's done in that time as well. It's completely and utterly bonkers. Mm.
4: Uh,
0: and this movie is... James is right, it doesn't try and recapture that vibe. It doesn't try and go for that craziness. Instead, this is a more reflective, middle-aged companion, I'd say, to Excellent Adventure. Excellent Adventure, if you go back and rewatch it, is not a joke fest. Uh, it is a character-based comedy, and the and the comedy that is there does come from these two doofuses. And the fact of the matter is, the, the unavoidable matter is that Bill and Ted are older in this movie, and they when we meet them, they have not lived up to expectations and they have all this, this the crushing weight of disappointment and failure that, you know, I know so well, particularly. Uh, they <laughs> have it hanging on them and hanging down upon them at every single uh, opportunity. To squeeze comedy from that is quite tricky. And to his credit, I think the film doesn't always try. I think there are moments in this where you actually have serious moments of reflection from Bill and Ted, where they're beginning to maybe realise that, you know, there is more to life than just hanging out together and being most excellent to each other and, and partying on. And uh, I really can't wait to get into this properly in this spoiler special and really dig into it. Because talking especially with Ed Solomon was, was fascinating because this is all intentional. The fact that Ted doesn't really smile that much, doesn't flash the Keanu Perler. Um, that sounds weird. and That sounds like a sex move. It's not. Um, the, the Keanu Reeves row of teeth. Um, well, he has two rows, actually. Uh, he doesn't flash those at any point in the movie, really. I mean, it's, it's a very, very different Ted. That's all deliberate. And and so it falls to sometimes the other characters to, to fill the comedy void. And as Edith said, there's an amazing new character called Dennis, uh, played by Anthony Carrigan from um, Barry. And he's really, really funny. William Sadler's funny. The the daughters are funny, uh, and there's such an affection I think for Bill and Ted that you know it gets you through the slight running time. Even if it isn't a laugh fest, you know it's an enjoyable watch. Uh, we gave this one three. Of your empire, stars. Bill and Ted face the music, and yes, indeed, we will be doing a spoiler special for this, available to spoiler special subscribers. I'll be up towards the end of September, more likely October first. And as with the director Dean Pariseau and Ed Solomon, and is going to be a cracking listen. He said, having not edited it. Anyway, the last film to talk about this week is is another. It's another laugh fest. It's an, it's another wow. Hold on tight, folks. Your sides are going to be splitting. It's the devil all the time. Uh, it is a new film on Latler Netflix. It's got an all-star cast. Hell's Bells. It's got Spider-Man in it. It's yep. got Batman in it. Yep. It's got you know, your second favourite Bucky second in favorite
1: it. Second favourite Bucky, yep. This it's... must be
0: exciting for you, right?
1: I mean, honestly, it's a, a fantastic cast. And it's one of those collections of actors who are like, wow, everybody in this is good. This must be an amazing film. And the film itself is maybe not quite as good as its cast list for me. Spoiler. Oh! Um so it's an adaptation of the novel by Donald Ray Pollock, who also narrates the film. Yeah, uh, that's heavy, an interesting heavy choice, narration. Isn't it? Mm. He's quite—I thought he was a good narrator. Actually, I liked his voice. Um, but it's kind of. Honestly, I couldn't tell you the plot. There's a lot of plot going on. Um, There's a lot of flashbacks and flash forwards and so on. But um, the the plot seems to revolve around, it's kind of Southern Gothic. I think it's correct to call it Southern Gothic. Mm -hmm. It is correct to note that there is a lot of violence and corruption and crime. Um, It seesaws between two towns that are linked by a number of people, but particularly By Bill Skarsgård's character, uh, Willard Russell, who comes back from war, meets a girl in a small town, uh, marries her, goes off to live in another small town. And then for various reasons, their son, who is played by Tom Holland, ends up back in the first town. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's... Mm -hmm. Makes sense. There's there's yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of other stuff. There are serial killers, there's a corrupt cop, there is a corrupt um preacher, there's some really gross violence. Mm-hmm. And there are several major stars who seem to be miscast. That that's not to say they're not good. They're all they all give good performances and they all do well with the material. But I felt like there were some people who were just so wrong for the role that I couldn't settle into to the work that they were doing. Um, and I find that quite distracting. So I I just find it a little bit of a misfire, a bit of a squib. I think it it mm. it's one of those stories that maybe just works better on the page. Um I think the the director, Antonio Campos, has has obviously had to really work to to build in enough narration to explain what's going on, to explain these flashbacks, to kind of build this story up. But for me it just kind of got a bit doughy and I wasn't sure by the end what it had really all been about
2: yeah i i kind of it's one of those films i was really excited to watch because it's got i mean the cast is kind of brilliant i kind of have a little chuckle to myself Bill scarf though because you know without makeup on which is just always a little bit like (laughs) oh i know i shouldn't but oh um but i am but yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought the performances. It was quite. It was almost a bit kind of play like in a way for me because it's a it's a vehicle I think for these for the actors to to really act these characters if that makes sense. You know, in terms of mm. uh, like like the the young um, preacher who, you know, kind of he's kind of really over the top and and brilliant in that way. And I think that that's what it does really well is it kind of allows these great. The great talent that's in this to kind of really just kind of have a have fun and really deep dive into these characters and and make them really colorful and stuff, but then almost I think that the the narrative is is a little bit more complicated than it needs to be if that makes mm. sense um but I really enjoyed the performances I thought they were they were really interesting. I kind of almost wish that we'd had less less characters and a bit more time with the story if that made sense very much
1: yeah.
0: Maybe this is uh, sort of ammunition for my all films should have non-actors in them <laughs> argument. Okay. So instead of, you know, instead of having Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson, all great actors, but really going for it, you know, really like acting little hearts out, like Tom Holland, especially going, hey, you liked me as Spider-Man and I'm wholesome and all American and that. Well, just watch this. This is what else I can do. But if it was a non-actor we didn't know before, that works for me. Yeah, but, but you would know. anyone watch it then? This is very true, Edith. Anyway, <laughs> you have exposed a flaw in my plan. It's my get-rich-quick scheme as well. Damn it! Um, so, what do we make, very very quickly, of Tom Holland? Um, I have to say, I was surprised they cast a noted historian to star in this. Uh, Helen, what did you what did you make of his performance?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's almost as good as his last book, Dominion, uh, Chris. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm. Of course, speaking of the other Tom, one of the other Tom Hollands. Um- oh, you
0: mean the director of Fright Night? Here there we go. go. <laughs> We're going to go for it. We're going to go for it now. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, you mean the director of Fright Night?
1: No, I mean the roofer who fixed James's house that time.
0: Oh, you mean the footballer <laughs> from <laughs> Ipswich <Ripster's> Town? Okay, <Hey.
1: laughs> okay. So there's a lot of Tom Hollands, but no, I, this is it. I, I, this is he's one of the people I'm thinking of when I say I, I felt like he was slightly miscast. I, I thought he did good work. I think his performance is very good, and I still didn't entirely feel it. And I think that might be. Maybe this should have been a TV show, honestly. Maybe it should have been like a four or an eight-part thing, and maybe then you would have had the the time to get into the texture that would have brought these these roles to life. Um, but as it was, even though I think he's the protagonist more or less to the extent that there is one, I still didn't feel like I in any way really got inside his head beyond the most obvious things, which is that you know he's driven by some tragedies in his life that again mm. won't get into. And and I I, I don't know that there was much else there to get and and I feel like that you know that does him a disservice because we know he's a really good actor um and we don't just know that from watching MCU movies honest um so he <laughs> he he was one of the ones that I felt a little bit sort of I'm not sure I would have gone for him for that role uh, I even felt that way about Robert Pattinson who you know I'm a big fan of and I think is great right now and is really kind of chewing up the scene brilliantly but even then I didn't quite Love him in this role in the way that I have in other sort of counterintuitive stuff he's done recently. So I don't know. I just I just had real trouble getting into this. Um,
2: I found Madonna. I think I found the Madonna actress. Um, oh I, yeah, Riley Keel. I think she's amazing. Mm. I love oh, no, that's everything a good call. she does. Yep. And yeah, the fact that she's obviously Elvis's granddaughter. There we go. <laughs> she's the she's Madonna.
0: <laughs> that's a good call. Who else but Elvis's granddaughter could play, ma- play Madonna? Exactly. Yeah. I'm there exactly. for that. I'm absolutely there for that. Um, anyway, we gave three stars then to the devil all the time and that is it for this week's Empire Aww. Podcast. Uh, it's been a real, it's been a blast. It's been, intimate, it's been a blast having you.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Oh, uh, it's better. been a lot of fun. But if you want to hear more from Edith, obviously sound tracking is available in all your podcast apps. And I should say before we leave as well, that we're doing a live show next week at the London Podcast Festival, socially distant and safe, as you know, and i um, delighted to say that it, we were sold out in person. So. You can't get tickets to see us in person, but you can get tickets to see us on the live stream. So if you go to kingsplace.co.uk, you can buy a ticket. It's 9 95 I believe, and you can see the show being streamed live. And that is the only way you're going to be able to see or hear that show. It is a bespoke show. It is a one-off show. It will not be going out as a podcast. Um, and reason I'm bringing this up as well is because Edith is also doing a show next week, uh, a soundtrack show at the London Podcast Festival. What have you got? What have you got lined up?
2: Mr. Nick Frost is going to be my live guest.
0: Ooh. Holy shit.
2: Yeah. So Nick's going to be joining me live on stage, socially distanced. um so yeah similarly i I don't think we are sold out so feel free to uh, head to that website that chris mentioned to buy a ticket to come along Uh, and if Mm -hmm. they are sold out then please do come and watch us um streaming live yeah i'm so excited i mean nick's not only a massive music fan his kind of dance music collection is extraordinary so i'm quite excited to um to speak to him about that, but also yeah, just music generally with him and, and um and also kind of in terms of with him and Simon as well and, and this production company that they have and you know and where, where that's going and, and the kind of yeah the music elements and all the films that he's been involved in as well. So yeah, be fun. Awesome. I'm thinking I'm thinking vinyl, you know, decapitation, <laughs> things like that.
0: So, yeah. Just to double fun. check, have you been in a band with Nick Frost?
2: Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> wait till next weekend yeah <laughs> go buy
0: a ticket next week to see edith interview nick frost at the london podcast festival and they will form a band live on stage that is the empire <laughs> podcast guarantee you, you, seriously bring a guitar along you'll you, you'll have a laugh i'm sure nick can I'm play something i'm gonna bring
2: right? a guitar and a little Casio keyboard and see where it takes <laughs> us
0: so that's on the friday night right your shows is on the friday yeah, we're on the o'clock. thursday yeah your Friday night. Oh man, I want to go along and see that now. Oh, that should be fun. Um, Not that I didn't want to see it before, obviously, but I really want to see it now. Um, (laughs) In terms of next week's regular podcast, we will be putting out a regular episode. So I will say, as is tradition, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Oh my God, I've just realised this. It's a double Henry. It's the two people I would cast as the next James Bond. Henry Cavill, star of Enola Holmes, and Henry Golding, star of Monsoon. It's a Henry Whoa, off.
1: Wow. Whoa.
2: Unbelievable.
0: It's a handsome off, is what it is. Hmm.
2: Uh, to just really Jack Loudon for the next James Bond for me. Ooh, oh, OK.
4: That's
1: Bond, a not good blonde. Shout. Sorry,
4: I just love saying <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> for a second, I thought you were going to go, Bond, not Scottish, but then. <laughs>
1: No, John I would Connery. never say that. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: yeah, of course you'd never say on, that. But of course, Edith goes with a Scottish person. Ridiculous.
2: <laughs>
1: Quite clearly.
0: I didn't, suggest, I didn't suggest a Northern Irish person, did I? I didn't suggest Jamie Dornan, although he would be pretty oh, good.
1: Oh, hello. And you know what? We're the only home country that hasn't had a bond. So it's his time.
0: This is very true. This is very true. Dalton's Welsh. Connery's Scottish. Bloody hell. Um, so we can, have, we can have our own Northern Irish bond. This is massive. Yes, come
1: on. Jerry Adams.
0: <laughs> no. Definitely Emily Holmes.
1: Not. So not. No, okay? oh, Literally getting colder. Me. Oh, no. It's called Van Morrison?
0: <laughs> Imagine a James Bond. Van Morrison. He could do the theme June. Imagine that James and Bond could couldn't understand the entire, a word he said.
1: And he'd play the entire movie with his back to the audience. You'd <laughs> yeah, just see his
0: back. Make, that's all. You know, the theme tune begins. And then the, you know, he comes. In. Is that Eddie Vedder? Eddie Vedder <laughs> and Fann Morrison. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm trying to wrap this thing up. Uh How's that going? until then, until we meet again, until a auspicious occasion, until the, the two Henry's face off, it's going to be so exciting. Uh, and we hope to see you next week for the live show, obviously, but until then, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Helen O'Hara.
1: Totally.
0: And it's goodbye of course from the revolving fourth chair, Edith Bowman.
1: See you later.
0: And it's goodbye from me as well. I am off to prepare my baby Yoda mask for the live show it's not a mask with Baby Yoda on it it's a mask made of Baby Yoda's skin spoiler alert for the Mandalorian season 2 by the way thank you so much for listening see you next week bye bye